Cowabunga it is once again. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are. Welcome to the Sofa Chronicles. I am Josh, and as always, I am with this hellacious hunk of redhead over here, the beautiful Jacob Giles. Hello, sir. How you doing there, gorgeous? I'm. Uh, You're I'm, showing off some thigh today, a whole lot of calf. I'm trying. I did squats this week. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I will say you're not in your hoochie daddy shorts, but you're you're at least in your hoochie teen shorts. Uh, well, you know, I'm in my hoochie daddy face. You are. I am. You are. It's okay. It's okay. Everybody has it. I love these shorts. They're so yours, comfy. I just don't know why yours is this part like this late in life, but I'm with it. Well, you know what? I don't. Really, I don't either. Uh, before we get to our guests, first and foremost. Uh, congratulations to the Alabama Hammer, Mr. Tyler Davis, on pulling out second place at OSG. I know he is probably not very happy about that because he was going for a two-time and going for a title defense, but that's okay. You're uh, still a bad motherfucker, so it's all right, my my brother. Congratulations. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. Also, we have an update from Miss Jamie Douglas, who is the state chair for Mississippi. She has said, Mr. Giles, that you can compete local if you have a pro card. You have to go up a weight class. So if, you know, lightweight pro can compete middleweight, heavyweight, all that kind of stuff. And once you get a pro card, you do not lose your pro card, according to Jamie Douglas. And there are two different federations with Strongman Corps and United States Strongman, which we didn't know. And uh, you can have a pro status for both. Well, then, I'm glad that we have learned that um, you can compete with a pro card. You just got to go up a class. That's, I get it. It makes it a little bit more challenging. That does make more sense, you know. But then again, if you go up weight classes a lot with your not pro card. Okay, let me rephrase that. If you're going up in classes because of your pro card, whenever you go and face the same weight class with your pro card, wouldn't that kind of give you an edge since you've been lifting heavier weight? I mean, that depends on the competition. Um, mm-hmm, I don't know. I'm not on that level. You know, we, 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 we've got, I don't know. So, anyway, two we have minutes. guests here today, sir. Two minutes. We have two guests here. You two minutes what? Two minutes. Can you chew your food? No. <laughs> I didn't expect you to mess up two minutes Why? into this. Words are hard all day long. Yeah, but I figured you'd at least get five this go around. Why? I didn't last time. I know, but you did better. You was at four. You why, cut it in half. Why are you watching the time? Because it's my thing now. <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Dick. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> okay, so our guest today, we have, uh, first, first of all, um, our scheduled guest, Mr. Andrew Pappas, my brother from Credo Strength Equipment. Unfortunately, he had to back out due to the loss of his mother. Um, so everybody be lifting him up with love, prayer, support, all that good stuff. You only get one mama in life, and um, we got to give him some love. So, Andrew, if you're listening, I love you, my brother. And we are here from you, even, even though we are way down here. Because <clears throat> he is in Minnesota. Now... Our current guest that we have live in here today, which I was excited about also, having people in the room. Jake's nodding his head in approval. <laughs> Eating like he's a Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this... And now I want to watch The Emperor's New Groove. Anyway, so uh, the couple that we have in here today 
Uh, I met this man in 2016. He was one of my instructors at the Midway Fire Academy. Uh, and he brought his wife in here today. We have Jim and what was your name again? I'm sorry. Stephanie. Stephanie Allen. I'm so sorry. I'm terrible with names. Me Jim too. is a lieutenant with uh, Scambia County Fire Rescue. He was a lieutenant at the time. Uh, and he is now in the training division with the great and powerful Joel Richardson. And um, we have him in here today to talk about anything and everything. We're going to talk about the fire service. We're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about watches. We're going to talk about whatever we want to talk about. So, ladies and gentlemen, Jim and Stephanie Allen, good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, thanks for having us on, guys. Uh, first of all, let me start by saying uh, to Andrew, who I do not know, I'm very sorry to hear about your mother. Uh, you, you're in our prayers, and uh, we hope the very best for you. And um, if there's anything we can do, please get in touch with Josh. He can get in touch with us, and we're we're more than willing to do it. Um, Thanks, sir. And um, in in all seriousness, um, the shorts are phenomenal, and, and they could be shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, shorter. Um, I but, do. Uh, but I, no, man, I, I, I want to say uh, I'm, I was. We had talked about this previously. Um, me getting to come on the podcast. I I don't think very highly of myself. I guess I never really thought that I would be a candidate for somebody's podcast. Um, so um, a, a lot of the stuff we talk about tonight, I'm probably going to talk about a lot of the people that were influential on in, in my life and uh, and about the fire service, which <laughs> I love. We've got my wife here, who uh, obviously has been. Um, um, my Plymouth Rock, the things she just held me in place for years uh, and kept me from doing a lot of stupid shit. Uh, well, she didn't keep me from doing a lot of stupid shit. She stayed with me after I did a lot of stupid shit. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> Sounds no, uh, it's a true honor to be here, and and uh, I really certainly appreciate it. Hey, we're honored to have both of you in here for sure. Um, so, so I, got, I was going to say I got a question. Yes, sir. This this is fresh to me. Okay. Not even twenty four hours ago. I was having a conversation with a mutual friend of ours and with her, I was trying to figure out what she meant by how people find certain people amazing and all these things. And yet the people they're talking about never see it. Do you have an idea of why that could be a thing? Cause I know I don't think very highly of myself either, even though I've had plenty of people say I'm, I'm a great person. I'm part of the good people, wherever, you know, however it goes. Um, it's just weird to say, about yourself, I'm an amazing human without feeling almost kind of narcissistic or I think it's because they do it for a passion, not for recognition. Passion, not recognition, which I is what I think. So I think some people will go out of their way just to be recognized, whereas other people just do it because they have such a big passion for whatever it is that they're doing. They just want to be the best at what they're doing. So I think that when you're dealing with somebody like that, don't look at their self that way. They just look at their self as almost never good enough. Like they got to keep going, keep learning, keep doing that. So that's, that's I, the way I feel. I get that. And, and you know, oh, hold up. Hold up. Oh, here we go already. Already. Now, I, here's my timer seven minutes. All right, Tess, you got me? Yeah, there, you there go. we go. Okay, I'm sorry about that. That was probably me. That's 
That's where. Uh, that's why I don't think very highly of myself. Because <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not you. No, that's, that is not you. It is definitely you, not you. You that's, could give. Listen, guys. You could give me two ball bearings and put me in a padded circular room. I'd break one and lose the other one. It wouldn't. It would be no time. I love that description. That's, um, that's fantastic. That is amazing. Um, I am getting new microphones. They're on the way. So hopefully soon that issue will be gone. All, all good. Um, but but back to what you were asking. Um. I don't think I have a self-confidence that you have confidence in myself when I'm, when I'm at work and, you know, there's certain aspects of our lives, I think, where we're more confident in ourselves than others. You know, maybe, maybe it'd be you're confident in your ability at work, but maybe you're not a very confident dad or a confident uh, husband or, or, or whatever, you know, there's different things like that. Um, and I think I'm a good father. I could always be better. Um, I try to be a good husband I realized I could be better, um, but at work, especially, uh, I just, it's one of those things where I'm surrounded by guys on the job that are so good at what they do, and every time I watch them work, I I feel like I'm, I'm eight steps behind, and I, I feel like the second that I take a break um, that I'm going to be recognized as a fraud. Mm. Talking to um, a therapist and reading some books uh, by some psychologists and stuff like that, there's actually a term for it, and it's called imposter syndrome. Nope. And they, nope. they say uh, that a lot of people that, that are actually high performers have imposter syndrome, um, where basically what it is is you feel like you're an imposter, and you feel like at any moment you're going to be found out. And I can, tr- I can truly say, you know, um, I swear to God, I go to work and I'm just, I, I try to do my best. And, and people always say I do well. A lot of guys look up to me, but I'm like, man, like, when's it going to come out that they see that I am, I'm not as good as they think I am, you know? Um, <clears throat> and it's just, it's very tough. But because of that, it, it drives you to push yourself so hard. And in my career, it, it has driven me to try to be the best that I can be, but that has also had its downsides in the aspect that that drive at work has been uh, detrimental to um, my mental health. Mm-hmm. It's been detrimental to my, um, my marriage to some degree. It's been detrimental um, with my relationship with my kids, relationship with family in general. Um, the steps you will take to maintain and be a part of the team and still be worthy to be there you don't you don't realize the steps you'll take until you feel like you might lose it. Right. Yeah. You know. Hundred percent. You agree with that, babe? Yeah, I agree. I can I can relate to that with the imposter syndrome thing, <laughs> but it's kind of an after the fact. Yeah. You know, I've been out for almost two years, and I hear people coming back from my own department and other departments around talking about, um, you know how. How, how good they think I was and how good of an instructor, how good of a fireman, how good of an officer, all these things. And this, you know, like the, it's not the same without you. I was like, I don't, I have a hard time hearing that kind of stuff. Me too. And it's, it's not like, it's not like I'm, I'm a narcissist. Like, yeah, I was good. I mean, I was effective because we I worked gave, hard. You realize you worked hard. Yeah, Cause it. I give a shit. Yeah, exactly. And it matters to me. It's like, well, you're just a volunteer. It's like, yeah, but you still die. Yeah. It's, it's not like, it's not like this this is any less risky because I'm not getting a paycheck for it. Sure. <laughs> so 
that was one of the things that, you know, and especially after going through Midway, that really kind of lit a fire under my ass. I was like, maybe I should take some of these things more seriously, mm-hmm. like taking physical fitness more seriously, taking mental health more seriously. Cause I had one of the, the hardest mental health episodes while I was in the Academy, while I was there. Uh, one of my best friends killed himself while I was in the Academy. And I had to, I came into class one day and I told instructor Erickson, you know, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm going to be hundred percent honest with you. I'm not here. Like my body is here, but I am not here. And he took me off to the side. He's like, okay, what's going on? And I told him about it. And uh, so a couple other things that was bothering me. And he was like, bro, I wish I could help you. But in this capacity, there's nothing I can do for you right now, which I understand why he was, you know, checking on the welfare of a student. But at the same time, he had to keep that professional level in place. I understand that there's no, there's no, I'm not having any malice against him or any of that, but that was like, that was before we started Hose Week. Yeah. So, wasn't it? Yeah, that was before we started Hose Week. It's such a mental demand on you, just the Fire Academy itself. Yeah. And, there, and, and you can't have distractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of guys starting out don't realize, like, things at home aren't right. If yeah. You, you, you can't, you, it, can't pay, it's, it can't take second place because you won't succeed. Um, you know, I've learned more from being a Fire Academy instructor and being a, a company officer that I ever learned, like I learned more about human beings. Yeah. Um, you have I to, ever, I think. When, yeah. You know, and, and, and being one of your instructors uh, and I, you and I have talked about this before um, that put a lot, uh, it, it brought me a lot of perspective and I've spoken to her about it, you know, um, I was I was a tough instructor, and I thought I had to be, and I, and I still am to a degree. Like I, I demand a standard to be met, but um, you, after everything was said and done, and you learn, you you look back. I've learned that you can be that stern, hardcore guy, and they don't have to. The students don't have to know necessarily that you give a damn about them, but it's absolutely one hundred percent my responsibility. Uh, to ensure that they are taken care of, they have well-being, that mentally when they struggle, you provide them the ability to succeed. Yeah. Uh, you listen to them um, and you put you, you, you put personal stake into their success. It doesn't mean you give them anything. You don't, you don't cut them slack. But if you show them how motivated you are about them succeeding – and push them, guys want to succeed. Now, in the situation with you, you know, I look back and I was like, you know, I, you had your medical issue that I didn't, I didn't never know anything about that. And I look back and I'm like, I felt like for a long time, and this is one of the things that really bothered me was that uh, that I had taken something from you. Um, no. That that um, you'd, you'd be working with me today. And for a long time, I was like, man, you know, because of, because of me and – all this shit, you know, I didn't realize Josh had a medical problem and I, I rode his ass, rode his ass, rode his ass. And then, you know, and, and I, I really, so to, because of that, to this day, I'm still hard on students, but I'm very quick to pull them aside. Hey, you need to sit down. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, you need to sit down and you need to drink some water. You need to do this. If a dude is not performing the normal way, he, the way he normally does, I pull him aside. Hey man, listen, drop the instructor Allen for just a minute. Tell me 
be good. It's something going on. You know, uh, you taught me that. And then that's the God's honest truth. Well, I mean, I'm glad I could be a part of that, but I promise you, you did not take anything from me. I know. And that's, that's one of the, but that's just one of the ways I feel about it. And I've talked to her and told her the same thing. Um, you know, uh, I was in control of my own destiny at Winboy. I had my time. Shit happened and I couldn't finish. Yeah. I didn't quit. I no, never quit. I would have like the, like the day we did the Kel run and then they were like, Hey, we're going to do the Kel run again backwards. Yeah. And who was running with me? Who was running with me? I don't remember his name. He was a very handsome man. I don't remember his name. You, my friend, I believe, are probably talk, talking about Captain Chris Stimmel. Must yeah, that's who it is. <laughs> he very, is a very handsome man. He's a man. beautiful man. <laughs> he is. And he was, I think he was running with me that morning. And all of a sudden, he stopped. He stopped the engine. He's like, "Look, you look like you're about to pass out." I took three steps and almost passed out. So he grabbed me. He said, "Okay, cool. You're going to ride in the truck for the rest of the run." And I was like, "Fuck, I don't want to do that." Yeah. But then it was, you know, and I didn't know that Lieutenant Noah was a nurse. I didn't know that he was wickedly smart when it comes to the human body. He's brilliant. That yes. man is brilliant when it comes to the human body. And then him and Stemmel cornered me one night. Uh, actually, I was talking to Carl Bowers. Rest in peace, Carl Bowers. That Rest in peace. Good wonderful. Carl. That was a wonderful man, man. I loved him. That was a wonderful man. He was in my academy class. Yep, I remember that. We were talking, and he was like, you know what? I think we're just going to go ahead and run a mile. Whatever we were talking about that night. Because, you know, it, incrementally throughout the, mid, uh, throughout the academy, you run more and more and more until you're running a mile and a half, two miles every day of class or whatever. And um, right before instructor said, okay, go. Um, Lieutenant Noah came out and he's like, Odom, come inside. And I was like, ah, this can't be good. <laughs> so that's when he came and he sat down and told me about all my condition. And he's like, how, how are you here? And I was like, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm dumb, ignorant ego. I don't know. I'm just, I, I came here to be a fireman. I don't want to quit. Yeah. So then it started the downhill process, you know, cause I had to redo my physical and no one would redo my physical cause I'd already had one or they wouldn't, they wouldn't do the NFPA physical. They weren't capable of doing the NFPA physical. Right, yeah. So that was, that was why I had to drop class. Cause I, I was, I was out well, too long. I knew you didn't quit. I knew. And, and uh, what bothers me the most about it or what did bother me the most about it was that, you know, looking at you, you could tell that you were not some out of shape guy that didn't give a shit. You know, the attitude, the physique, everything was there for a guy that was successful or that would be successful. And I can remember that. And I could just, you know, and I was like, I look back and I'm like, I, I just kicked myself. Cause I'm like, why, why didn't, why didn't I dig a little bit deeper? Why didn't, why didn't I look for something else that was, that was a contributing factor to all of this rather than just ride his ass t at the rate that I did. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. which, which has taught me a great deal about students and about the, and about being a company officer with guys that I work with, you know, the mission comes first, but then their well being has to be a very close second. Um, and, and I take that very seriously guys that have worked with me, um, three o'clock in the morning, if they called me and their baby needed formula, my responsibility to get up and make it happen. Yeah. Um, so, but and, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent, but I just no, wanted to say no, that to no, you there, this, you know, this is, a, this is what, this is what our show is. This, this is what is we want to do. quite literally and the I show. I said, you know, this could be a positive thing that that did happen. You could be dead. Uh, I had you know, less had than not happen. Uh, yes, child. Sorry. My babies are here. Yes, baby. Do you see what I'm doing right now? Okay, look. 
either you can share or I will come in there and no one will have anything. You will sit in silence and dark. Sorry. <laughs> Probably should have muted my microphone. That's all That's right. All right. Well, I've got kids too. I understand. I mean, I'm going to say the majority of people who listen to us have children of some sort. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But anyway, you know, lessons were learned on both sides on For that. For sure, man. From, from Midway. Because I took that away and I brought that back to my department too. Because one of the biggest arguments I got in on a regular basis with certain members of my department was training. You know, it's January. It's cold outside. I don't think we need to train outside. What happens if we run a fire right now? Are we gonna Are we gonna sit inside? Are we gonna sit in the garage? We're gonna sit in the fire station and talk about what we would do. Yeah, or we're right. gonna go outside and practice doing it, so we're proficient at it. Right. Same thing in July. It's hot. It's the South. Oh, oh my aching ass. Yeah. We need to go train. We need to get used to being hot. There's a way to do that responsibly. There is. And and when when you take charge and you do those things responsibly, you are doing the right thing. Where you run into problems is when you push guys without any type of understanding of the environment, their physical condition, and you don't take the measures needed to prepare them adequately. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm fully on board with getting guys out in the summertime for heat acclimation. Yes. And then getting them ready and then, but doing limited drilling um, in the heat of the day, but exercising during the day, um, drilling in the morning, just being out in that. Being uncomfortable. Yes, being uncomfortable. You know, that's what this job is. And I tell guys in the fire academy all the time when I'm teaching, fellas, you're sitting here, you're making these victim noises when you're doing these push-ups or whatever. We're out here just raining and you're, you're miserable. Fellas, let me tell you something. Your cars are over there. Go get in them and leave. You don't have to stay here. Yeah. But let me tell you something. When you, at three in the morning, when you're on scene and there's five rigs there, we got a chief in command, everybody's working. You're, I'm telling you, I promise you're going to be way more miserable, tired, hot, cold, wet than you've ever been in the fire academy. Yeah. And what are you what are you going to do? Call a fucking Uber? Yeah. You're there. You you're know? there. And so same type of deal. You know, you've got to prepare yourself for those environmental conditions because that's what we're facing all the time. But we're a volunteer department. We can't do that horse shit. We had a, we had a lieutenant uh, that was just one of those salt of the earth bastards. Yeah. He was a great guy, but it was it was his way or not. But he came in that group of firemen. He was a he came off old rigs in Texas okay. in the sixties and or in the seventies. He's just a hard ass. He's just a hard ass. He's yeah. just an old crusty motherfucker. But that's we need those guys. Yeah, the fire service still needs those guys. And you know, it statute limitations probably out at this point. <laughs> um, in the Late 2000s in Loxley Fire Department, we were having a little bit of a membership issue. We had a full roster of 12 explorers, but we didn't have that many firefighters that were actually showing up <laughs> or participating or even had that many on the roster. So there were a few of us that I will not name but have been in this room uh, that were going interior on fires and going, you know, front line on car fires and stuff like that with a black helmet on that had an explorer stripe on the side of it. So, well, in some some occasions, uh, rules are made to be broken. I can say that I've probably done a thing or two that's probably yeah. uh, illegal as hell. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the man that's a fire chief now, he was there. He was the captain at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever. Um, but that that crusty old guy, he was like, okay, if y'all are gonna be doing this kinds of shit, let's get you familiar with your stuff. Yeah. And literally, what we would do is we would get our gear, put a pack on, and just go walk. Yeah. 
That was where we started. We would go walk. And it got to the point where we were walking two or three miles a day. Which is an unbelievable. Rock marching? Yeah. I do that. And and, and it's, an, it's, it's, unbelievable it's unbelievable what it'll do for you. Yeah, for sure. You think it's like, you think they're just going to go put on gear and walk around. You're not going to get anything out of it. Mm, I got bad news for you, bud. You're going to get better. Oh, yeah. You're going to have sure. some kind of improvement. 100%. Yes, sir. Um, this is early 2000s. Gear wasn't as heavy as it is now. Turnout gear wasn't as heavy as it is now, but we had packs with steel bottles. Yeah, so now we don't we don't have the steel bottles anymore. We've got the composite. I would say full compliment. If I'm working at a fire, I'm wearing, and this is a complete guess. I've never really weighed it, but I would say an extra probably... 60 pounds maybe would you think that would be accurate yeah with all the stuff that we carried we would carry that we would carry a tool or every now and then we carry a condo pack yeah yeah so 65 pounds probably those old steel bottles god damn it seemed like they weighed 100 pounds by themselves yeah but um, that's what I, that's that's what i went in my first fire in that's uh, yeah. that's that's what we had and that's another thing we tell the kids in the academy we have a lot of kids that show up and they're in great shape they lift weights a lot and they're got a great physique and i'm like brother let me tell you something you're getting ready to start hose week and I don't give a damn if you spent two hours in the gym yesterday. This job is about technique, and those muscles are not going to do a whole lot for you until you learn these techniques. That's right. And uh, and we take them out there. And, you know, I believe it or not, I exercise regularly. I didn't lift, say you didn't. Lift, no, no, I look like I don't. Now, um, hey, look, the body dysmorphia <laughs> is 100% part of my sport. Okay? Bro. I don't look like I lived either. I look like a fat fuck that eats pizza with short shorts on. Me too. On. But I do those things. I do eat pizza with short shorts on. I do too. And then go try to work out. It's going to happen here in a little bit. <laughs> but uh, but I tell them, I tell them straight up. I'm like, fellas, I'm I'm going to outwork you. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, I'll show you. I was doing planks with them the other night, and they were. You thought you'd have thought they were getting beat to death, and I'm like, fellas, I'm just telling you, you you, it's good that you exercise. I'm not not taking anything away from that. But you cannot muscle through this job. Nope. It takes technique. Nope. Um, and so um, that's why I was so like, I, when I told you, when I saw you that day um, at the market, at the market, and I was like, dude, you were an inspiration to me. And you were like, what the, f like, what the hell you really are, you know, to see how far you've come to see that you've got a goal and that you were, you were running after it at full speed and you're kicking ass. Like there are some days, man, that I don't want to go to the gym and I'll open Facebook Here's Josh Odom <laughs> posing, and I'm like, I gotta go to the gym. Gotta go, you, now. you know what I mean? So uh, I hear that a lot from people, and I yeah, actually like that. You are an inspiration to me, brother, and I mean that. I and, like that. And, uh, I appreciate that, and that's awesome to to have. You got you got to reach out to other people to be successful. You can't be successful. I don't care how much self discipline you have. It takes a village to be successful in life. I do believe in the community aspect as well. Yes, 100%. And the fire service is an amazing community. The strongman, the strongman group is an amazing community. It is it is paramount to be around good people. And I've said this before and I will say this until the day I die. Be around people that are better than you. Absolutely. You got to be around people that. that are better than you. And that's hard. It's hard to do that because you're playing catch up all the time. Yes. But when you do finally go work overtime somewhere in my case at a station where maybe you guys don't train a lot and you're just, you look like a major league baseball player, you know, like yeah. they, they go out and do something and you realize, man, being around those guys that I'm always around has paid off for me. Oh, yeah. But I've always told, and, and in my career, I have always been around guys better than me. Daniel Mills, the Greg Campanellas, working with Charles McGuffey, you know, um, Wes Barnett, Chief I, just guys that uh, Matt Scallon, you know, these guys that, um, 
they, they'd run circles around me on the job. They're, yeah. they're, they're unbelievable. Um, they do shit that, that amazes me. And I, every day I feel like I'm playing, I'm playing catch up and they would probably like, look at me and tell me I'm crazy for saying that, but that's how I truly feel. Like I watch these guys work and I'm like, man, God, I, how are they that fucking good? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I feel that way when I go train, like, like when I go to mobile to train with those guys over there or, or around, even just being around my coach, just yeah. being around, just like, man, I've, I thought I was doing good. Yeah. Yes. I need to work harder. Yep. Oh, well, do you have a, something you. to say a minute ago, Jake? Yeah. I was going to ask, uh, what's your take on cold plunges? You know, because if you're talking about doing physical health and stuff like that, so, he lives in uh, a lot of uh, words. Lives and dies by those things. Well, yes. I'm going to tell you this. I have not done one yet, and here and it's just been a convenience thing for me. Uh, I fully 100% intend to start. Um, I would say a pretty good amount of our fire stations in Escambia County now, the guys have gone out and bought them, and like the chief, chief firemen, lieutenants, captains are doing uh, – Cold plunges. That's awesome. And they're like, man, you got to try it. My thing is, um, I, I just haven't had access to one yet, you know, and they say you should do it early in the morning. Hey, we got you. But I need to do it because they say that not only physically inflammation and stuff like that, it's, it's good for your mental health. Mentally. Um, it would do like a reset. Yeah. And, and so I'm definitely going to start going. One of the main things that, that um, stops me from doing it early in the morning, when I get, to, I have very high anxiety, extremely high. And, um, when I get to work in the morning, like I've got, if I get out of my routine, it, it just, it really messes my day up. So I get there, I get my, do my pass down, get my stuff in the truck, print my rosters. I'm trying to get all this stuff done so I can immediately leave and get to the gym and, um, exercising first thing in the day for me. Um, it's not really about the exercise. It's just about the fact that it, if I decided to wait to the afternoon and do it, I would have anxiety all day about doing it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. It so does. I do it. I do it first thing in the morning. And a byproduct of that is, you know, the endorphin release, all that type of stuff. So I feel better. My anxiety's lower. I feel like I've, I've taken a step and accomplished something already for the day. So that kind of gets me off onto a good foot. And you um, started with something difficult. Exactly. Yeah. That's and, and that may be one of the hardest things I've done that day, that day was just getting myself somewhere where I didn't want to be and doing what I didn't want to do. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I tell people all the time, like I've had guys say, man, I just can't get motivated. Bro, I am never motivated yeah. to go work out. Motivation's <laughs> bullshit, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. I, it's, it's, it takes self-discipline. Motivation psychologically occurs after something difficult. You yeah. get motivated about an accomplishment that you have made. You don't yes. get motivated to go accomplish something. Yeah. Um, so... I'm never motivated. I never want to fucking go. Yeah. I hate the thought of even driving up there. It's miserable. Yeah. If I could take a pill and do this shit, I would take a pill. <laughs> yeah. You know, but um, I ahead. like to suffer. Yeah. So with cold plunging, my or ice baths, whatever you want to call them, I do mine at the end of the day. Okay. Like that is the last thing I do. And it's like my body knows and my mind knows, okay, our day's over. So we can relax. We can release tension. We can let go. We can. We're still going to suffer. We're going to suffer forever long I'm in there. But then it just can like just start turning switches off in the brain. Yeah. The body can just, I, I can, I can literally feel my body just untightening as I'm in there. Yeah. Come to find out 
you're only supposed to do like super cold ice baths. You're only supposed to do them like two or three minutes at a time. I didn't know that. I've been going like 20 <laughs> minutes for since I started. Aww. Losing toes and shit. Yeah, like I've been getting <laughs> like doing this shit. Yeah. But when I when I first started, it was cold outside and my ice baths outside. Mm-hmm. So whatever the temperature was outside is whatever the water was. So I mean it was like 40 degrees, 38 <laughs> degrees, you know, you know, the coldest I got in it was I think 35. I did 20 minutes. Yeah. But I was I was going off my Apple Watch because I like watch my heart rate while I'm in it. And I was, I'd sit there, I was like, all right, we're going to burn 100 calories in here, and then I'm going to get out. And that that was like about, that was roughly 20 minutes. But then it just got easier and easier and easier. So I just got in the habit of being in there 20 minutes. So I don't recommend you start doing that. Uh, I would say go for four, well, uh, like two, maybe three. Thanks, yeah. Dick. <laughs> You're the one that said you wanted to go as long as I did. Yeah, because you said I should. Yeah, I said you should suffer. Yeah. Like that would wake you up, not relax you. No. You'd be surprised. Helps me sleep. Huh. There's been a few times that you know he would go first, and I'd I'd put a little fire pit out there beside it, and whenever I hopped in, I'd almost fall asleep because I got the warmth of the fire pit hitting just enough for me to keep me warm. Uh-huh. The ice bath just you start nodding I've, off. I've never done it, but but from you know talking to guys, it sounds to me like like. Doing that is almost just preparing your brain for whatever it's about to do. So if it's about to, if you're about to sleep, it's preparing your brain to go into that mode. If you are doing it in the morning and you know you have a pretty busy day ahead of you, it energizes you. You know, I've had guys tell me both both sides of it. So it's almost like it's clearing your head and preparing your brain to be able to just focus on what the next task is, whether that be sleeping or carrying on with your day. But it uh, uh, maybe provides a level of clarity to you uh, to where. It can, it can, your brain can focus solely on whatever it is that you're about to do, which is try to rest. Um, I'm going to say my, my thing was slowing down. Yeah. Like I work in a fabrication shop recently. We've been slow, but we worked ourselves to the point like we're waiting on places to call for their stuff. But most of the time it's just, you sit down on a spot, you have made yourself basically contained in, in a small space. And as long as you're okay with that, you're going to just sit there and you're just going to relax. Yeah. And that's always been my biggest thing is I can, I can do some things that helps me relax. Some things I try to do that help me relax and don't work out very well. That's one of the things that does. Yeah. Like, cause you just, you, you kind of have to sit there. You kind of have to suffer through it. And eventually, like he says, it's, it gets easier. Yeah. And so whenever you're just there is more along the lines of, I don't have to worry about anything for a few minutes or however long you want to go. It's yeah. just, I am here. I am going to enjoy being here. I can be here with me and I can figure out what I need to do for me to better me. That makes sense. You know, it absolutely does. And you mentioned that, you know, I've always had a problem um, with being able to just be in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, well, out there you have to. Yeah, exactly. You, Jenny, I'm cold to think about yeah. anything else. And, and that's been a big struggle of mine is is I can't relish in what I'm doing right now. It's always what's next. What am I got? What do I need to do next? Or, or um, and yeah. move I that a little closer to you, Jim. I don't really like that. That's just who I am. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And uh, but but I'm interested in doing this. And it, really and truly, uh, there's been nothing that's told me not that, that there's nothing that makes me not want to do it. I just it's been a me not making time to do it, so, really. Are you on Instagram? Yeah, I am, yes. <laughs> All right, so look for a guy on Instagram called Wim Hof. 
Okay. You ever heard of him? I think I've heard the name, but I don't know a lot about him. Okay. Well, research Wim Hof. Look for his Instagram page. He is a major, 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 major proponent of these things. One of them. He's kind of one of the guys that made it a thing. Yeah. Um, He talks about things to do before you get in the ice bath or a cold plunge, things to do during, things to do when you get out. Like, He's got a breathing exercise routine that you do when you get out, and there's all these like primal movements and all okay. these kinds of stuff to help warm your body back up. And I tried that the other night, and was like, bro, I was ready to fight the world. Really? Like, dude, I could have, you could have threw a grizzly bear in there, and I'd have been ready to fight him. Well, man, not just you, but guys at work are swearing by it. They're like, Lou, you've got to do it. You got to try. You know, it, man. I've got, I've got bad shoulders, bad ankles. I've got a torn labrum. I've got all these issues, and, and just inflammation you know you get our age and and they're they're like guys are telling whoa 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 come on how old are you how old are you i'm 33 i'm 30 Uh, i'm 38 let's just go ahead just oh okay okay i thought (laughs) okay but we've we've been ridden hard and put up wet uh, you know what i mean those 15 years in the fire service was not kind (laughs) of the body yeah but uh but the guys are swearing by it and i do intend to try to give it a shot uh I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was a little bit of uh, me being a little bit of a pussy there, and that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I was about getting in the cold water. I had zero saying, cold tolerance. Tonight. <laughs> I, I, I'm not doing it tonight. I can't. I can't bring myself to do it tonight. I'm going to do it. At, I'm going to go to Station Eleven or Station Seventeen with Peter Welch, a good friend of mine and a wonderful man, um, and and uh, do it with him. I told him that uh, that the first time I did it, I would do it uh, when he had it set up. He does it daily. And uh, and I promised him that uh, yeah you know and I get uh, it man I, I want pictures oh. picture didn't happen I, I'll send you some pictures uh, so station seventeen in, on in West Pensacola has one Myrtle Grove has one um, station I want to say station three I don't remember if they have one station six has one station seven I believe has one. Wow. I believe one has yeah guys are just they're going to tractor supply and buying like the uh um, what we got outside yeah man and, and they're gavelum tub loading mm-hmm. them up with ice and water and because you know we got those big ice machines and they're hopping in them and and they're saying it's changing our lives you know so i definitely intend to to start doing that just for uh just for both the physical and the, the mental um benefits of it um you know so it's so good man well, the reason why i was asking is you know if you decide to we have we have setup that will travel. We have ice bath that will travel. We could always just come join if there's yes. if there's no, not enough tubs. No shit. We okay. could do a Cialis commercial. I'll, I'll, you. I'll hey, hold your like hands, so hands hard. in the ice bath. Brother, bro, I'm I'll tell ready. you this. Speaking of Cialis. <laughs> Whoa, da- hey, oh, hey. <laughs> the family show, Jim. The, the, the day <laughs> they make that over the counter, they're gonna have to start uh you know, monitoring that shit like Sudafed sales. Cause <laughs> that's fair. That's not where I thought you were going with that. No, bro. Come on, man. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, but I mean, not, we've got, we've got the one outside and I've got another one. Well, I'll tell I can you what grab. I'll do. Uh, since you guys are, you know, it's obvious that, that, you might not be, I don't know if you're, if you have pro cards, but this type of stuff is, you're so into it. We have dudes just jumping in ice water. But I don't think they've done a lot of the, um, the, research behind it to understand all the benefits they just know there's something oh, i researched it to death and i'm it, to be yeah. honest with you i'd love to have you come around um and and maybe come ride with me one day and, bro and and you come ride with me and we'll go around i'd love to have you guys come and you know talk about some of the strongman stuff talk about <laughs> some of the uh benefits of the cold bath to some of the different crews absolutely um we're trying to get we're trying to change um you know we have a lot of young guys and we're trying to get them to understand that um, 
health is important. A lot of them, they work out a lot, but are they working out the right way? You know, like, Oh yeah, dude, that's huge. You know? Um, and, and I, I lift weights. I try to do cardio, but I, I do what my body allows me to do and mm-hmm. then I'll push it a little bit, but I don't, I don't lift super heavy. I've got a messed up shoulder. I can't afford to hurt myself trying to look different. I need to be functional. I need to be able to perform and I think I'm being successful at at, at that. That's what matters, man. I can I can dig up some of my workouts that I was doing before I started strongman. Yeah. Just at the fire station using what was at the fire station to work out. And it was just about self destruction. Like yes, it wasn't exactly. trying to be muscular. It wasn't trying to be strong. It was trying to be capable. Exactly. And you know, I have transitioned completely out of that to being strong. Mm-hmm. But there is a way to do it. There is a definite process to do it. And who gives a shit if you're not lifting heavy? Right. I hear people tell me all the time, like, I can't lift as heavy as you can. Well, guess what? I couldn't lift as heavy as I could a fucking year and a half ago. Yeah, but you can lift as heavy as you can lift. Yeah. That's all that matters. It's like, you can bench 135. That's awesome, bro. Go yeah. bench 135. When you feel like that's easy, go to 150. Yeah. Make small steps. It's okay. Mm-hmm. The, 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 you know, and, and I've gotten better about this in life, but uh, understanding that it's okay to be patient. Yes. Things don't happen overnight. You have to. And one thing that that um, Captain Richardson um, kind of taught me was um, amazing human. W- one thing he taught me that that really sh- struck me was when he said something about uh, it's not about it's not about the outcome. The reward is in the process. Mm. You know what I mean? And That's good. And, and, and when he said that, I was like, man, you know what? Like the just the fact that I'm doing I'm, I'm doing something that's meaningful. It doesn't matter what what the outcome is. It's just that I'm doing something meaningful for me. Yeah, and yeah. that uh, that's huge. And that's what I try to tell guys during training at work. Like, you know, you got type A personalities. Guys make a mistake and they're hard on themselves. I'm like, bro, like the blues fly every single day. And you know what? They make mistakes every single day. But you yeah. know what? They come back. They take the rank off. They're honest with each other with compassion. But they don't beat themselves into into oblivion. They understand that failure's normal. And you want to find your failure point. You know, they, um, you know, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, amateurs train, uh, until they get it right. Professionals train until they can't get it wrong or Uh, something. Yeah. Here's my thoughts on it. I'm wavy on that. Here's my thoughts on it. This is what the original phrase was. A lot of people don't realize it. Amateurs train until they get it right. Professionals train until they get it wrong. Yeah. And what that means is a true professional is pushing themselves they don't give a day. De- if they do the same thing perfect over and over again, you're not getting better. Yes. Mm-hmm. They are pushing themselves to the next level until they find a failure point. Yeah, you, do it till you, you find the next thing that you need to work on and you work on that. Yes. Um, you know, hell, I mean, if you sit down and you spell Josh Odom a hundred thousand times on paper, you're never going to get better at spelling Josh Odom. Yeah. But now if you take, you know, some, you know, huge word that, you can't pronounce or read or anything like that, and you spell it 2,600 times on a piece of paper, you're going to get damn good at spelling that word. Is that how it works? Because words are hard. <laughs> well, mathing is hard, too. Mathing is hard, too. <laughs> you know, and that's why I try to avoid doing both of those things. Um, but yes, Man, I'm fucked. I got to do both of them. Well, oh. I'll tell you this. I'm probably one of the only only guys that could spe- that could write that word down 2,600 times and consistently still misspell that motherfucker. No, you're not. <laughs> no. no, you're not. I'm way here with you, man. Well, but that's my point. You know, find your failure points. Find out what you're not good at. Go work on that. Don't work on the stuff you're good at. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm not saying don't upkeep skills, but 
but uh, you know, especially on our job, it, you know, stretch, keep keep confident <sighs> that, but find the things that you are not good at and to go out and just be embarrassed. If you feel embarrassed, it, what whatever. Yeah. But uh, it's much better to be embarrassed when you're training with the bros than when you have a two year old little girl that's stuck in a second floor bedroom with fire shooting out of two windows. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, um, and that was that's another thing about the workouts I was telling you about. That was it was shit I wasn't good at. Yeah. And I had a couple of guys from from our department come and jump in with me. He's like, dude, why is this so hard? I was like, because apparently you're not very good at it either, which is why we need to do more of it. Yeah. So that was where that came from. Like, I can dig some of that stuff up if you want. Um, but that's all it was. Is you've got to be capable. And you know, you've you've mentioned the three o'clock in the morning thing before. My biggest argument with all of like our department, just guys around here, is like. What the fuck does it matter what time it is? You're right. You are right. I remember and that. And I remember and hearing it's not, that. It's nothing against you or people that say it. I understand why you say it. But that was one of my arguments. I was like, what are you going to do at 2 o'clock in the morning? We had a guy that would say that about anything. You know, you get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, can you tie your shoes? Like, goddamn, can you tie your shoes at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when the damn sun's up? Yeah. Who cares? Can you do the job? The true reality of it is that the time doesn't matter. What matters is can you accomplish it when... The conditions around you are not adequate or not are not um, ideal for accomplishing it. Yes. And so here's what I teach young guys when it comes to stretching a line. You know, when you're new in the fire service, stretching a line, forcing a door, doing any of these things, those steps that it takes to do those, and I don't care what anybody says, you'll have some people say, "Well, it's just stretching a line." I mean, it ain't that? No. There are steps. You break everything. Everything that we do, you break it down into steps, and you master each step to be good at it. Mm-hmm. That's how you're good at stuff. I got humbled one night over that. Here, go ahead. You finish, and I'll tell um, you. And I tell new guys, you know, um, when you go to stretch a line off the rig, right? We're, if you're stretching in a parking lot, that's all well and good. There's nothing here. You just stretch the line, sort of flake it out, and flow water. But when you pull up, you got a job, whether it is daytime or nighttime. What you're going to have there is you're going to have a swing set, a bird feeder, a fence, a car park there. You're going to have a bunch of toys. So let's say you have those five things right there. Those are all obstacles that you were not prepared to see because you've never been to this house before. Mm-hmm. You should not have a sixth obstacle with that hose line. The training of how to do that should be so it should be ingrained in you at a molecular level yeah. so that as you're negotiating these other obstacles your body is automatically doing what it needs to do with the hose line or with forcing a door so that it does not your brain shouldn't be thinking about the line it should be thinking about how to negotiate the rest of these obstacles right and too many times we have guys that don't train enough on these certain things and so now they have six obstacles to, to negotiate yeah all these things in the yard Plus the line because they're not proficient at stretching it. Yeah. You know, um, and so it, whether you're absolutely right, whether it's three in the morning, three in the afternoon or five, whatever, the same obstacles are going to be there more than likely. Yeah. Well, you, you know, to your point in the, this was part of the argument that I made, you know, this is what Captain Richardson talked about when he was here. I'm sure you talk about this too, being a proficient instructor. What are you going to do at that time of day? Right. What is the difference between two o'clock in the morning and two o'clock in the afternoon? Why does that matter? Yeah, you know, does the weather does the weather matter? Yes. Does traffic matter on a certain road at a certain time of day? Yes. But in does, the front yard, but, whether it's day or light, does, does it matter what you're going to do? The, does the sunlight being there or not being there affect our actions? Really and truly, no, it does not. No, We're, really and truly, it does not. But 
you know, there's there it's it's explaining the differences of why you do what, which is lacking in my opinion in some cases. Or it was, uh, I don't know about now because I'm out of the game, but um, it's it's hard to make people understand. Suffering matters. Yes. It's hard to make people understand that if you can't handle being uncomfortable here, and this is the place to be uncomfortable, this is the place to make mistakes, this is the place to get it wrong. If you can't handle that here, you need to have a very serious conversation with yourself about your future. You're absolutely right. Because it, it's, gonna, it's not if, it's when. It's going to cost you your life or somebody else's life or the way you live your life. Or something like that, and that sounds dramatic, but it's not. It's absolute. It's, 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 it's absolute. Like with fire, EMS, police, military, or something like that. If there's ever a day that you have fasted, that could change everything. Yeah, and we cannot afford to do that. You're absolutely right, and it matters. You know, we we. I hate that the fire academies they teach these these students. Your safety comes first, and I, I'm not saying we shouldn't be safe. This is probably not good for me to say as a safety officer now, but I, our safety does not come first. It does not. Yeah. A child, a victim, whoever in that home, they do not have training. They do not have gear. They do not have an SCBA. They do not have our skill sets. So our safety does not come first. Yeah. Now, are there times that the situation just does not allow us to do anything? Yes, there are those times. And that is called tactical decision making. Yes. But to pull up and say, well, we're not doing this because it's not. No. You know what? If you are not tactically proficient enough to make hard decisions and do dangerous things because when they need to be done because they need to be done then you need to be gone yeah um and i don't, you don't mean, need to I, be in the position to make I, decisions I, I don't mean be reckless but i mean be tactically proficient and be willing to take the risk when it matters because like chief ike says it is worth the risk and if you're on this job what we're doing matters and um it, it is absolutely worth me risking my life to you know what i could go to a fire tomorrow and hopefully make a grab and that could be the person that cures cancer yeah yeah never know you know what i mean and and that has been something that has been you can ask her it's been emotional to me like throughout my entire career like it's just been that that to an unhealthy degree a lot of times there is a line there with that of unhealthy risk unhealthy obsession with those things i've been guilty of it too and i think I think anybody who genuinely gives a shit in the fire service has been through that yes. and had to get humbled by that or had to get humbled by an experience like that. I'll um to quote one of my one of my brothers there in the fire service, uh, Mr. Stacy Lay, who is a wonderful human and a wonderful instructor. He's been he's one of those guys that if he taught a basket weaving class, I'd go take his class. Yeah, for sure. It's, he's it's gonna be fucking phenomenal. He said that, you know, everybody was like, I would give my life for you, I would die for you. And he was like, that's dumb. I'm not going to die for you. I'm going to live for you. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to live for you. Yes. Then that's if you can change your perspective of one word, imagine what you could do for everything else. My, my mother is a person that says that. She says, I don't I, I don't want somebody that's going to die for me. I want someone that's going to live their life for me. Yeah. You know, and that that's it's so much it, it's easy to die. I mean, if you if you think about it, I mean, like it's life is fucking hard. Yeah. And to live a life for a purpose or for a person, that takes a lot of of sacrifice. And so when you do live for someone else, even when you go through your own struggles, 
that means more than being willing to die for him. Absolutely. You know, and, and so I completely agree. My mom, June Sims, always says that. She's always said that my whole life. Um, you know, don't be willing to die for people. Be, be willing to live for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it really hits home when when um, when I think about that. And, you know, and unfortunately, um, that the mental health aspect of it, you know, I've been on I've been on. I've been a, I've been in the fire service for 19 years. Coming up uh, January of 2004 is when I started volunteering. I got hired full time uh, with Escambia in December uh, 2007, December 9th, 2007, and I've been here ever since. And um, I have gone hardcore the whole time. Like I've always wanted to be at the busy stations, and I've had a charmed career. And the reason for that is because of other people. I have I've had other people that have given me unbelievable opportunities that have looked out for me and taken care of me, um, you know, and and they've always, you know, it, it's it's never been me, man. It's always been somebody that's been willing to give me a shot, you know, to to to, to give me an opportunity. And I tried to always earn it. But, you know, it's hard. It's hard to earn some of the things that I've been given. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I've been so lucky and blessed by the leaders and the mentors that I've had and the friends that I have. Um, and I pushed myself so hard, so hard, so hard. And I ended up having some some pretty serious, you know, uh, mental health issues uh, accompanied by um, some addiction to Adderall. Mm. They got they got pretty severe. Um but, you know, you get to a point where, and I always loved the job and I always hit it. Nobody knew I had a problem, but that was the only place I could go to work with all these problems I was having and function because I was on autopilot. I knew how to do that job and I could do it without, with all those problems going on. My struggle was going home. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. Um, because I, I, I was, I had work on my mind. Uh, and everything was life or death to me, whether the dishes were done right by the kids, that was life or death to me. Um, how I responded to people, how I talked to them, how I reacted. Um, it was just, you, you know, I, I was in <clears throat> that other mode, just high adrenaline all the time. And uh, come to find out after doing some reading, speaking to my uh, therapist, who is her name is Michelle uh uh, Raybon and she, well, I'm sorry, Michelle uh, Lawrence. Now she's recently married. Congratulations, Michelle. Um, uh, she's explained, and some other people have explained that uh, I, I don't, I've never had an issue where a certain call has affected me. Mm-hmm. What it's been for me, um, and and yes, I was diagnosed with PTSD, uh, moderate to severe case of it, um, and that and accompanied with that i was highly addicted to adderall and it was never recreational i got a prescription and, and i just it over time just one wasn't enough two wasn't enough three you know and it got bad and it got really bad and i i lost control and i didn't know i was in a place where i didn't know how to get myself out of a hole um and i was taking her pills she was on them at the time i was just in a bad place um coupled with jo- the job but my post-traumatic stress that i was we and we like to call it occupational stress injury now not post-traumatic stress disorder okay the reason why is a disorder typically is something that someone has that, that can't be cured you, you know a disorder is something that people have and it that something that's you have it your whole life um this what, what, what we're talking about is technically an injury because it can be cured we can fix it yeah. okay know? so we call it an injury now 
okay. post-traumatic stress or occupational stress injury, because with the right treatment, you know, you can come through on the other side. Um, am I, am I coming through? Okay. No, you're good. I thought okay. I heard her growling. Okay. There. I got you. You can come through on the other side, uh, and, and be in good, a uh, good place. I'm in a good place. That doesn't mean I don't have bad days, but you know what? What human doesn't occasionally have a bad day. Yeah. So if you've had, if you've had this before and then you go through therapy and then you have a bad week and you're not feeling well, understand that that's normal. It's normal. But what's not normal is to live your life that way and to be your family shouldn't walk on eggshells around you. But long story short, I didn't mean to get long winded. No, dude, this is what, what was it, free reign. What, what was explained to me, my condition, you know, you can have you can you know, there's military guys who have who have um, seen their friends killed and, and they they relive that they have nightmares about it. And that, you know, those types of things cause them to have occupational stress injury. Um, and that's a real thing. With me, I've been to a lot of fires. Uh, I've been very lucky to be at the busy companies and and go to some cool fires and do a lot of cool stuff. But there's not really there's a few calls that I think back on that I can get choked up about, but they're not they're not ones that that um, define me. I mean, I, I can I'm fine. My problem has always been um, the way it was explained to me. You know how when you go into fight or flight, you're you're almost about to get in a wreck. You're almost ruining somebody, and your your adrenaline goes up, and and you know you go into fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. Well, you know as well as I do, when you get dispatched to a call, you your adrenaline pump. You yeah. know your body does that, so you do that over and over and over again. Your body's not designed to do that continuously throughout the day, or and and for years at time at a time. <clears throat> so every time that happens, your body produces um, adrenaline. And it begins to produce cortisol, yep. which is the stress hormone. Well, those are so they're they're so potent that that's why um, you know you're not your body's not designed to be in fight or flight constantly. With us though, when you're constantly in that, you go to a call, come back, go to another call, come back. Go to, well, that's three times in an hour that you've your body's experienced that. What ends up happening is your body basically says, "Hey, this dude keeps doing this same shit." It's much easier for us to just lock him in this mode mm-hmm. rather than um, keep turning it off and on. So what ends up happening is your body begins to overly produce adrenaline cortisol and you live in that mode. And then the cortisol being so potent and such a strong hormone begins to suppress dopamine, serotonin, testosterone. When I was 35, I was really tired, really weak. I couldn't get weight off. Um, just depressed a lot of stuff and i was still in therapy and i went to the doctor uh, the, the county clinic doctor uh espenscheid who's an awesome doc and i said doc i said uh, i've been talking to some guys i want to get my testosterone checked and uh he goes well you're 35 it shouldn't be too low um and uh he goes but we'll check it so he takes my blood and i come back the next day or whatever dr e man he's funny he walks in the room and he goes well Ma'am, <laughs> you were right. Your testosterone is low. <laughs> so the normal the, the normal uh, testosterone level is three hundred to nine hundred. Now, which you, is horseshit, by the way. It absolutely is. Thank you for saying it. You go to a to someone who specializes in hormone therapy, and you're a thirty five year old guy. They'll tell you, hey, if the if the upper limit of testosterone is a thousand, let's get you to a thousand. There's it's not going to hurt you. Let's get you at peak performance and we'll see what other deficient vitamins you have. You know, so anyway, mine at 35 years old was 172, that of like an 80 year old man. Yeah. 
So now I'm on testosterone replacement therapy. Um, As get, am I. Uh, and it, it, she fucking, she fucking hates it. She thinks I'm a like, third. Damn it, here's that shot again. <laughs> she thinks I'm a 13 year old boy, but hey, it is what it is. But I feel great, man. I feel, uh, you know, my workouts now are not painful. I feel the pump when I work out, you know. Um, but so along with that, I got into therapy. I ended up getting off of uh, Adderall, and it took quite a feat to do that. I mean, it was uh, the, a lot of lies were told um to her um and took me three or four you know attempts to get off of it finally i did i'm doing better than ever without it but i'll say though when when um i actually decided just to confront him about it because i knew or i had a pretty good idea for quite a while but i think myself i was in denial because i knew that when he was first put on it and how he was taking it was as prescribed with anything that's addictive over time it, it it's not enough so finally i was just at my breaking point so i remember we stood in the living room and i confronted him and you can literally see his whole body just kind of drop his shoulders drop just relieved that like i'm here for you i know this is going to be tough i know it fucking sucks but you know we got to get you through this and, and it was tough. There, there was, you know, it was a struggle and he had good days. He had bad days. But at the end of the day, like I knew my husband that I married was still in there and that this, that he was headstrong enough to beat this shit. So, you know, and even to this day, I, I don't take Adderall anymore because I don't even want it in the house to be a temptation for him. So rolling into my job, it's a big struggle because I'm having to, my short term memory is that of like a three year old. So, but I find ways to work around it. I mean, that's what you do as a team. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're married, but we're also a team. So I'm just, I thank God every day that he was able to get through that because it was really, really causing some damage at home. It, it took a lot of help from other people, though. It wasn't just me. Oh, hang on. Son of a bitch. Here we go again. I'm still plugged in. I'm holding it. <laughs> it wasn't recording for a second. I'm sorry about that. You got me now? Yeah, you're good. You're good. Right. Are you okay. muted? Oh, I'm here listening. I wasn't <sighs> trying to interrupt anybody. Okay. See, I'm not used to being able to see the laptop. Okay. Yeah, we, am I, am I good? Yeah, no, you're yeah, good. You're, you're fine. Um, but, but, you know, going through that stuff, I'm open about it now. And I'll talk to guys and I'll tell them straight up. I, I, want, I want everybody to know. I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, I, I made uh, bad decisions, but... Um, they kind of snuck up on me and I'm not making excuses, but it was just like one day I had this problem. I hadn't, I didn't see it coming up, you know, and I never took them recreationally or anything. I took them for work. I thought, I thought I needed them to perform. We go back to the imposter syndrome. Once I started taking them, I started, you know, feeling, you know, it makes you feel great. Like you're doing, you're doing great at work. Well, I was doing fine before. Hell, I'm doing better now, not on it than I ever did on it. Oh yeah. And then then the crash when he got home, that's when it, yeah um but after that um was when i really started the the ptsd stuff was when uh we started noticing that and um my my wife my mom i mean i can remember both of my mom crying begging me you've got to get some help you've got to get some help stephanie she literally she'd come home and we she'd be like i'm waiting i'm waiting on the day that i come home 
it finds you dead in the floor where you shot yourself. You remember telling me that? Mm-hmm. Um, I was scared to death. Um, I was miserable. I was depressed. I was angry, and I didn't know why. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was not happy. Um, I, I just was – it was such a horrible feeling I had constantly. Um, I felt worthless. And I would gotten to a point where um, I, I was – I had my suicide planned out. I was going to go uh, the old food world on Pine Forest Road. There's a road that runs behind it called Shelley Road. And um, the kids were at school. Stephanie was at work. And I intended that day I was going to go drive my truck back there and um, and just shoot myself. And somebody was scheduled to pick up Emily from school that day. I don't remember who it was. But I think it was her mom. Yeah. And um something came up and her mom called and couldn't go get Emily. And so, um, such a crazy fucking story. So that day I was like, well, I have to go get, I I can't, I can't leave my daughter at school. I mean, I I have to go get her, you know I mean? I can't just leave her there. So I didn't do it. And, uh, so I went to, uh, I always leave about an hour and a half early because I don't I don't like being at the back of the school line. I'd rather sit there and listen to a podcast for an hour and just kind of chill yeah. and relax. Um, and so I'm sitting there in the school line probably about an hour before she gets out of school. And I was listening to this podcast on YouTube, actually watching it. And it was called Combat Story, I think. And the, the guest on there, his name was Tom. His name is Tom Satterley, who was a Delta Force Sergeant Major. And I'm listening to all this cool shit this guy did, man. Super badass was in the Battle of Mogadishu with the Black Hawk Down stuff, and mm. he uh, he lost 18 of his friends that day um, as a Delta operator. And he's talking about all this all this shit as being a Delta operator. Well, towards the end of it, you know, he starts talking about how he how he was suffering with PTSD, and he started talking about how he the type of person he was, the things that he did, how he responded to his children, how he felt. And I'm listening to this, and I mean, I'm just like in total dis. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps right now because I'm I'm in total disbelief listening to this man because I'm like, holy shit, this dude is describing me to a T. This is exactly how I feel every day, you know, like how I am with my kids, how I feel on a daily basis, how I feel fucking worthless. I, I don't I, like I, I don't want to be here. Like I I told her when I like I could like. I'm not afraid of dying. I could die tomorrow. It doesn't matter to me. I don't give a shit. Started crying. But I listened to this story. And at the end of the thing, he starts talking about, um, at this point, he had gotten a lot of help and gone through a lot of therapy. And and he was doing way better. And he's married now. And he's healthy. And But he starts talking about how he had started this uh, foundation called the All Secure Foundation. And... um, Basically, it's for veterans who have come out from combat, and and it um, it helps them with the needed resources to get uh, get the help they need for this PTSD. Well, <clears throat> I didn't realize it, but but you know they'll they'll help first responders as well. And I never intended to get help from him, but I I was just so like in such in such disbelief about the fact that the story he told and how he felt every day was such so much like me. I sent him a message on Facebook. And, uh, you know, basically I said, you know, Mr. Satterley, like I could probably read it to you and find it, but I said, everything you described, I feel this way. I, this happens at home, this time with my kids, I, you know, and I'm telling him, I'm like, you, you, I can't believe it. I said, I was never, I, I was never at anything at the level you were at. He goes, don't ever compare yourself to other people. And he goes, um, 
here's what you're going to do. He's going to, you're going to send me your email and tomorrow, Stacy Stone, the All Secure Foundation therapist, who is a godsend, is going to contact you, and she's going to schedule uh, your first therapy session. And I had never been to therapy, and I was always afraid to go to therapy because I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I was always, you get sick with a cold, you go to the doctor, you tell them your symptoms, right? Well, my problem was I didn't know what my symptoms were. I didn't know how to how to describe this. Um, so man, I get in there and and. She calls me the next day and she's like, hey, Jim, this is Stacy with All Secure Foundation. And she's lucky I answered the phone because I almost didn't. She's like, um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Just, you know, what you, what you do. And I told her, she said, all right, well, we're going to schedule an appointment. And this lady's confidence that she had and, and how she uh, talked, it was just like she made it was super cool. I was super comfortable with her. And so I had my first therapy session. And started talking, and good therapists—they have an—they have an ability to ask you questions to help you answer things that you don't understand about yourself. And uh, so I did four or five sessions with her, and she she did wonders for me, and she really got me in a good place. Um, I wasn't completely better, but but I was better off. And I, then I kind of stopped for a while. Well, then I started having some regressions, and I had some stuff happen. Um, one of the things, a lot of guys don't know this, but one of the things that really kind of messed me up, we had a Mayday incident, uh, on Matheson drive in Escambia and I was the writ officer and, um, Haley, uh, crab who I taught in the fire Academy and I love her like a sister. She's one of my best friends, Tad Bush. They were inside. There was a roof collapse. Tad called a Mayday and we were getting ready to go in the back window. That was the last location they said they were at. We get the window out, and they they weren't in that room. So I started to walk around the house to reevaluate to maybe go in a different window. Um, and I was calling Tad on the radio, um, and I was saying, "Tad, it's Jim. Tad, it's Jim. Can you you tell me where you're at?" And they they stopped answering. And I remember, um, like, I thought my friends were dead, man. Like, um, I was just convinced that they were dead, and so. I went home the next day, and uh, they weren't. Dale Dirks actually crawled underneath the the. He went through the front door and crawled underneath the collapsed. Um, no, the collapsed roof. He found a small hole. He crawled in there, and they saw the lights on his air pack and were able to follow him out and get out the front door. Um, awesome, but, uh, awesome. But awesome, awesome. Uh, God damn it. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> so uh, anyway, I didn't mean to get emotional there, but uh, no, dude, you've got no, dude, this is a safe space. Dude, say, do what you got to do. So um, after that, I got in touch with Michelle Rabine, who is our she's with the Second Alarm Project through UCF Restores. Um, and they basically are first responder oriented organization for PTSD, mental health, mental awareness, stuff like that. I got on the peer support team. I'm now the peer support team coordinator for Escambia County. And, and Michelle has saved my life. She has saved my life. She's, uh, we, uh, we did about 16 sessions of cognitive processing therapy and, um, bro, like I, I'm, I'm. I'm better, man. Like, you know, it took a lot of work. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of days that you want to just call her and be like, you know, Michelle, I'm sick. I don't feel like, because it's a lot of work. Therapy is, but man, I'm telling you, it's worth it. And, um, 
I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's a lot of guys on the job where I work that are suffering from the same thing, and they they don't know what how to go about it. And that's why I'm so open about this. Now, what did you change? What did what did you say the verbiage has changed to? Occupational what injury? So it's it hasn't officially changed, but a lot of the industry professionals and clinicians want to change it, or they will call it occupational stress injury, as opposed to post-traumatic stress disorder, or they may call it post-traumatic stress injury, because an injury can be healed. A disorder is something that maybe you may have that can't necessarily be healed, and so they want to get away from the stigma of it being a disorder, because guys are much more likely to avoid anything that, that labels them as having a disorder. You sprain your ankle, and I tell guys all the time, hey, bro, you step off a rig and you sprain your ankle? Your ass, I know you, I know how you are. You'll be doing everything possible to get your ass back on that rig as soon as possible. You sprain your brain, though. Why don't you do the same thing? Why don't you why don't you take do the steps it takes to get better and get back on the rig and be rocking and rolling, you know? And enjoy going to fires again. Enjoy it and not not be crushed have be have crushing depression and anxiety. I'd gotten to the to the point driving to work in the morning where I would shake just from anxiety and I didn't even know what I was anxious about. I, I I had got reached a point to where, and this is very unlike me, where uh, on the way to calls, I was anxious and was hoping it was nothing because I was so cr- had crushing anxiety. And you know me, brother. Like if if there's a fire, I don't want people's shit to burn up. But if there's a fire, uh, I want to be there. Somebody asked me, he said, "Hey man, since you're safety four now in the safety four truck, how far around the county will you respond uh, if the fire goes out?" And I tell them all the time, brother. If I can get to that bitch on a tank of gas, I'm going. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, you know, uh, that's so great. Uh, but, uh, I can get there on a tank of gas. Uh, but yeah, so, so you know, um, and during all of this, though, the therapy stuff, I was very open with uh, with her and discussing it. And she was highly supportive of it. She was always uh, encouraged. Hey, when, when, have you made another appointment with Michelle yet? You need to. She like she was my like my sponsor at home. She is also on our peer support team with the Scambia County Public Safety. Uh, so we're we're growing the team. Uh, and and all your listeners, I want to you know my phone number Jim Allen eight five zero seven two three six 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 four. If you're suffering in any way, any way at all, I don't care if you're what you do for a living. You, you don't have to be in public safety. You call me and I will get you resources that you need. Without any effort on your part, I will I will hook you up with who you need. I don't want you to suffer. Um, please just reach out. Reach out. You, you may not even understand what you're going through. If you're suffering, call me, text me, do whatever, and I will I will 100% do whatever I need to do. I will drive to you, and I will I will get you the resources and somebody that gives a shit, and we will put you in touch with somebody that will absolutely help you. See, that's been the biggest thing, in my opinion, is. For men especially, but both men and women, yep. when they feel like there's something wrong mentally, they're scared to really dive into it because they don't know what caused it or when it may have been caused. And then when they do dive into it, sometimes they have a support system, sometimes they don't. But either way, it's almost like you're, you're scared of finding out what's wrong about you right? because when it's a physical ailment, you're like, oh, I know what I did wrong. Yeah, I did. I picked this up wrong. I turned wrong here. I bent over and I should not pick up the bag. And now my bag is out. Absolutely. And because uh, like, I've been going to therapy and I have stopped, but I, I stopped not because I don't feel like I should go. I stopped because there's certain things that I wanted to understand 
and navigate by myself mm-hmm. because at the start of the year I'm gonna go I'm gonna start going back. Yeah. I got my therapist on call whenever I need him. I could call him. He's just say, "Come on." So the biggest thing is is getting over that hump of getting out of the the thing of if I go to a therapist, am I weak? Because most men are raised by the generation before that that was raised by a generation of the fuck are you doing? Shut up, work. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, I got pretty lucky. My dad, my dad is pretty easy going about things. And don't get me wrong, he raised us up just like any other uh, Southern parent would in, in the time where his parents grew up when depression was fresh. Yeah. So, you know, raised up hard, raised up to, you know, respectful, work, yes sir, no be sir. respectful and all that jazz. And the obvious, Boys and men don't cry. Mm. Obvious. Let the girls do that. That's their thing. They're emotional. We're not. Right. Go on about your day. Shove it down. Put it in the box. Shelf it. Bury it. Whatever. You know, that's great and all to someone who to someone who can separate their life from the events of the day. Right. And I, I do know people that's like that. But more often than not, most people are not a robot. Exactly. So I cannot compartmentalize right. at all. And, and I, I don't even think that they, they realize the effects that it has on their home life and their family. Right. And I'm sure that it's for him. I know is like, how the hell do I explain? Cause I don't know what's wrong. I just know something's wrong. Like, what am I going to do? Sit down and tell them this, this and that's wrong when I have no way of explaining it or right. any idea of what's wrong. I just know I don't feel right. Right. And that's, and that's and one of the other things too. For people too. Right. Yeah. And that's another big issue that people don't want to actually dive into it because they've basically put that wall or that safety sheet or whatever it is you want to call it that you have between you and those issues. Yes. Yeah. You, you've blocked well, them all. And mine, you know, yes, a lot, a lot of it, a large majority of it is work related mm-hmm. hormonal issues that have caused it on me. But also, a lot of it has to do with a dysfunctional upbringing with an alcoholic father mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of violence, things like that. Um, we're estranged now. We're not really talking, uh, which that was my choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, I so there was a lot of contributing factors to that. But, um, but no, you're absolutely right. You know, just being, being kind of afraid to, to, find out what the what's on the other side of that wall that may be causing this you know guys are concerned like what's wrong with me that's causing this and if it's some if there's something wrong with me what's everybody going to think about it that was my issue when i when i kept refusing to go um you know i i say this many times i'm like bringing her up just because but my ex-wife you know she was going to therapy for work issues yeah and then she tossed the idea to me that we should go for a couple therapy. I'm like, I don't know. I don't really see anything wrong here. And she, she pestered me for a few months. I was like, you know what? Whatever, man, this is going to make you happy. Make you leave me alone about it. Cool. I'll go. And it wasn't because I didn't necessarily see anything wrong as I knew there was some things wrong, but it was just the fact of a, I didn't want to be perceived as being weak and having to go to therapy. B, I didn't want to go to some place because more often than not, I've heard about couples who go to therapy. Normally, the guy get bashed. Yeah. So I didn't want to have that happen because I 
I just I already knew I was going to get blamed for everything as it was. Yeah. And then C, it was just why? Like we could have these conversations, but within the same question of that is even though you had the conversations, you're having it from a position of I don't see what's wrong. Why are you bothering me? And the other side is going to say, hey, this is what I see what's wrong. This is what's bothering me about Coming you. Probably from, almost feeling offended like we are have to have somebody else. To right. It was in the middle of our personal you're business. In a, you're in a defensive posture the whole time. And when you try to discuss it alone as a couple. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and a good therapist, in my opinion, is one that can break that barrier down and it not be, we're not making anybody be defensive. Right, no. and I, I got lucky with that one. You know, like my my therapist is really good about being extremely neutral. Yeah, is that she, the same therapist you have now? That I could call him right now. He say, "Hey, you needed for for hmm? the couples therapy." Yep. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I, yeah, I could I could call him right now. He's and I would say, "Hey, man, I need you right now." And he's he will be perfectly okay with talking to. Me. That's the same with Michelle. I could call her and be like Michelle, and she will. I swear to God, she would fucking get on an airplane if she was in Alaska and fly here and be here for me. Yeah, yeah. I've called her. Mm. It, the mic sorry yeah that's okay you're good so you're I, good. I used her uh for the first time i had my first um child drowning that didn't make it and i never realized how helpless you feel being because i work in dispatch 911 dispatch for ems and fire so i didn't realize how helpless you feel being on the other side of that phone Absolutely. Because Which like, is yeah, not talked I want to jump either. and haul ass and go and help, yeah. but I can't. Right. And you're at the mercy of, you know, all these people screaming and carrying on and you're like, fucking listen to me. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, listen to my instructions. So he recommended that I called her and I did. And, and she's great. She'll, she'll tell you what to expect. And if it doesn't get, start to get better within this time frame, then call me back. And, and she's amazing. I mean, she really has saved his life. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm calling her tomorrow. By I, the way, I could, I would yeah. literally. A, you, you gave me the. You talking about the Michelle? Yes. Yeah, the girl that comes she's, ride with you. She's amazing, and, all ama- and yeah, she's so down to earth. Like she's like a cool ass friend too. So yeah. you know, she's not uptight. She's really laid back. She's just a cool <sighs> human being. And and I think she was in the middle of a damn grocery store when I called her, but she answered that call. And I was crying. I was upset. And um, you know, it's just. He, he has really opened the door for a lot of people. Like, because prior to him, I mean, there'd be times years ago, I'd sit there and just cry because I knew that was in the, the height of his addiction. And, you know, prior to him, nobody would ever reach out for help. help. Nobody mm-hmm. would ever talk about it. Nobody wanted to be the pussy and, yeah. and be weak. So I could just see everything kind of falling down, you know, falling apart. And, um, you remember that yeah. we'd sit there and I'd be so fucking mad. I'm like, you know, these are your leaders. They're supposed to be, you know, helping you mentally too. Right. And nobody wants to freaking talk about it. And here you are ready to put a damn gun in your mouth. And I don't know how to help you. Like it, it was, it was very, very scary. And even, even with his addiction, just my best friend knew that was it. I mm-hmm. never told anybody else. Never right. told my mom, my dad, my sisters, his family, I kept that between us and my best friend, which is also his best friend too. And, um, cause I needed an outlet, you know what right. I mean? But, um, I am very, very proud of him and Michelle has, has helped tremendously. So I got something for you. Okay. Just along the lines of your stature, uh, with, 
with the fire department. There's a story that I read, and I'm sure it's true. I just don't remember the characters in, in the story. Okay. But it was a uh, it was at an army base, and it was the highest ranking guy or, or up there, like one of the highest ranking you know, military leaders of the base. And every it was either every Thursday or every Friday, he was scheduled an hour to go to the base therapist, mm-hmm. and he'd go in there, and he would never talk about what his problems were. And one day, the therapist finally asked him, "Sir, you come in here every every x amount of time for an hour." Yet you don't talk to me about anything. Why do you come in here? If you don't have any problems, why are you coming in here? A show this acceptable. And he goes, and he goes, so my men who watch me and let me lead them know that it's perfectly okay to go seek help. Even though I may not have anything wrong, they may, and they see me go and search for answers and search for help. That is They huge. know it's okay to go search for answers Absolutely. and search for help. That is huge. So, and uh, one of the initiatives that we're taking with our, our peer support team is mm-hmm. Michelle is actually going and she's riding with the companies. And it's not a matter of going and talking to the companies about anything mental. Like she goes and sits at the table and she's like us. Mm-hmm. She'll, you know, she, she'll, she'll say fuck. She'll cut <laughs> up with you. But it, her main goal is to get FaceTime with the guys. Yeah. So that they're comfortable enough with her that when they do need something, they can mm-hmm. call her. And that won't be the first time they've spoken to her. Right. And that's what I've been trying to do is to tell guys all the time, hey, man, I got help. I needed it. And you, and, and I'm fucking tough. I'm tough. Guys know that I'm tough. Like, And, and I, I say that without ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know how to suffer. And I know yeah. how to make it through it. And I know how to work hard. And, and I know that I'm a good fireman. I've worked hard at it. And I have had nobody look at me and, and be like, oh, my God. All of them are like. Ooh, that's awesome that you're mm-hmm. doing that, you know, and, and I have had some guys that, are, that have reached out and gotten help. And mm-hmm. and those guys to this day now, we we are like uh, we, we we're accountability partners. Yes. You know, we I, 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 I talked to a buddy of mine the other day and I'm like, hey, man, I'm like, something's wrong. I can tell. He goes, how do you know? I said, bro, when I when I text you and I don't hear back from you, mm-hmm. or I call you and you don't answer the phone. Those are the same things I used to do with my best friends. When I'm not when I'm not good, I said, so I'm gonna tell you what. I know it's hard to go do the session. He goes, How do, he's like, dude, you're on you're spot on. How do you know that? And it's because I've been through it, you know. Yeah. Um, but having an accountability partner in stuff like this, somebody you really trust and you love, and I and and I tell my friends I love them. You know, I mean I truly do because I do love them. It's, oh, yeah. it's okay to love the guys that you work with. Oh yeah. Um, you know, uh love is a powerful thing. You know, and uh, and I love these guys. I love what I do. I love my family. Um, I love life for the first time uh, ever. I think I, I can say I love life. You know what I mean? Uh, whatever problem I have, it's not. It's a temporary problem, and and it doesn't take away from how good life can be. You know, wonderful job. Uh, I'm doing, I'm, I'm living my dream and I think I'm good at it and I'm around wonderful people. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Jacob Dar, uh, Sean Hill and David Nadelin and Charles McGuffey. That's the crew at squad three, uh, on my watch, Sea watch. They let me live in their firehouse with them as safety four. Uh, they are phenomenal, phenomenal firefighters. Uh, Sean, David, and, um, um, Jacob Dar are younger guys, newer on the job, but they're at the squad and they are, they're brilliant. They're, they are, uh, uh, 
I'm telling you right now, man, they, they amaze me. They work super hard. It'll be nine o'clock at night and they'll be out there doing something. They always, they always want to hear stories about when I was a fireman at three and 12 and I'll tell them and it gets them, it gets them amped up. And so they'll be out there. Hey, Lou, come out here with us and let's do this. You know, those are the type of guys, those three guys and Charles, their boss. If my kids are trapped, I want them there. I want them coming. You know what I mean? Um, I have that much respect and love for them. They're that good at what they do. And uh, it's a pleasure to be uh, be around them. And it's an absolute honor to be here tonight and be able to, to say their names on a forum like this so that it can be heard from, uh, you know, other people can hear their names. They deserve it. Jacob was in my, um, was in my uh, midway class. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he was. I'm pretty sure the name sounds familiar. Um, See the ones that I remember. Um, so you've got Anthony Colacoris. Oh, Anthony! Um, wait, wait, were you in Anthony's class? I was in 014. Bro, do you remember? I think it was y'all's first drill day. I was out there teaching. Showed up. We're on the grind. Remember y'all lined up for PT, and mm-hmm. he didn't shave that morning. Mm. <laughs> yes, I do. Because we did mountain climbers until he ran in and shaved. He went. You know, he dry shaved. He didn't. Find yeah. It. I, he goes, I don't have a razor or shaving cream. I said, I don't give a damn how you do it. I remember that But you day. better get that that uh, hair off your face and do it now. The rest of you start working. And these yep. guys PT'd, and he came out, and he looked like a cat had scratched It looked like he his shaved face. his face with a weed eater. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, man, it's... Um, he was in my class. Uh, what was his name? Um, Price. He's with Pensacola. Um, Chance? No, I don't remember his name. He's a he was a stud. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Boynton, Daniel Boynton, is that one? That of name have? sounds very familiar. Was he from Nebraska? One of those big, yeah. big corn. Friend. I can't remember where he uh, where he ended up, but the name sounds familiar. I remember three days very vividly from Midway Fire Academy. Uh, well, what I was what I was going to tell you about earlier that I got humbled because people will ask if I don't say it. Um, you talked about stretching the line, you know, there's complacency with that. Yeah. So my brother, Mr. CJ called me out. I was, I was a Lieutenant. I think it was in my first year's Lieutenant. And we got, we were doing an in-service on new chainsaws, right? They're electric, the Dewalt saws, Yep. which I did not have any faith really at all in electric tools until hurricane Sally. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> oh boy. Neither here nor there. So I was kind of down and out. Just whatever, for whatever reason that day. And, you know, CJ being the, the instructor that he is, you know, <clears throat> get the guys who know how to use it on hands on it to show others that can't or don't know how or whatever. And he, um, he, uh, he said, um, he looked at me and said, You want to come put your hands on this? I said, And I was, you know, like I said, I was down. I was kind of moping. I was like, Man, it's a goddamn chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. And I went and I cut with it, whatever. And, he come, he pulled me aside because another thing that we harped on really hard is you praise in public, you reprimand in private. I've had my ass shoot out in public before. It's it's that's not the way to do it. So he pulled me aside and said, Hey bro, I understand it's a goddamn chainsaw. There's nothing to it, you know, you whatever. But you can't have that attitude in front of these people. Like they're looking to you as a leader. And now you've just put that out there like that. Are you okay? And that kind of Flip the switch, the trigger, you know, what was wrong. Because I've had my time before. You're like, well, my dad died 
Um, I stayed drunk for a while after that. You know, I actually, uh, I took rescue technician wrote one and the last two days of class I was hungover. I don't recommend that at all for anybody I've, listening. That I've likes done to, that a number of times in fire classes myself. Yeah. So the, I'll put this out there for any young aspiring firefighter, male or female, whoever, if you are traveling somewhere to take a class, or even if you are going to your own department to take a class, if you're like having a fucking steamer of a party before you do a final exam or anything like that, or just before class, I do not recommend that you do that because I sweat beer for three hours while we were in the training tower in June Doing our final evolution for rope one. And you know as well as I do, man, that that and I say hate to say back in the day, but you know, that was the way of the job then. You know, like like uh This is twenty seventeen. You party hard and and you play harder, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. um, and and I've kind of outgrown that. I I'm in bed usually by about eight thirty now and yeah. trying to get my rest. But uh but yeah, we used to go at it hard and I I know exactly what you're talking about. We show up the next morning like how in the hell am I going to get through this day? You yeah. Know? Um, like, how am I going to do this? Like yeah. driving uh, statute limitations are probably over. Oh, yeah. uh, like driving to that class, still drunk. And, and since you mentioned aspiring firefighters, um, anybody that's listening to this, if that's something you are aspiring to do, um, you know, obviously I don't, uh, uh, Josh could probably help you with, with Alabama stuff. Uh, I'm not familiar a lot with Alabama's standards and 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 their fire college, but uh, if you're in Florida and you're interested in the job, um, please feel free to give me a call. I'd I'd love to uh, do whatever I can to help you, uh, give you some guidance on how to get into the fire academy or, or start volunteering or doing whatever. It's a wonderful job. Um, you are uh, uh, there in America. Point one percent of the population of this country are career firefighters. And of that 0.1%, an even smaller percentage of us are ones that truly, truly, truly try to take it to the next level and give every ounce of our being because we know that it's what it's about. It's about the person that we're, we're about to make a grab. And I tell myself, I tell the guys all the time at work and we get ready to go to bed. I'm like, fellas, hey, tonight's tonight. We're making a grab. Y'all get ready. You know what I mean? Just to get them in the mindset. I want to get them motivated before they go to sleep, you know? Um you know, you try to have the mindset like Delta or SEAL Team Six has. It's all about the hostage rescue. That's the that's the mindset we have. It's all about the victim, and we are going to fucking do everything possible to go get them. And I tell them, if your kid's trapped, you want me there because I'm going to give it all. You know, that was another talking point that we that came up in a few classes. Uh, when it comes to a rescue, there's there's no fucking rules, right? Like especially on a mayday situation like that. I don't care if the best idea we've got is to run a cable through the wall and snatch the fucking wall down with the Do truck. It. Yep. Get it. Let's go. No Why, ideas or dumb ideas. No ideas or dumb ideas when it comes to the life, especially the life of another firefighter. Yep. Um, but the difference between Alabama and Florida standards are dumb. <laughs> well, well, Florida is stupid as Florida shit. Florida is stupid as shit because I heard a guy telling a story that he came from fucking FDNY and had to redo the academy because Florida wouldn't recognize it. Yes. I'd have told them to the kiss money, my ass. Yeah, bro. You know, we we take guys, put them through the academy, and when we hire them, we put them through beyond minimum standards in Escambia, and it's basically, a, you know, another six-week academy where we teach them how to be firefighters because yeah. the, the academy does not prepare you for that. What it does... The academy prepares you to pass the test. It, yeah, and we try to... Me as an instructor, my main goal there is to challenge you mentally to see if you are mentally tough enough to withstand suffering, to teach you how to be mentally tough, um, 
and to teach you how to follow orders when they're given to you. Attention to detail. And attention to detail. That's what I want you to learn. I don't really give a shit about any, anything else fire related because we're going to teach you how to be a fireman when you get on the job. Or firefighter. Sorry, I, you know, it's still a... It, no, look, man. I've got some females I work with, and I call them firemen. I call them brother, and they love it. I mean, they are. They they are hard chargers. Tara... Shout Oakland. out to, to Haley. Hey, Haley Crab, Samantha Quell, one of our new hires. Tara Opalowski, one of our new hires. She was a she's a retired lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Air Force. She's a gangster. Pi- she's a pilot. She um, uh, she literally is a Renaissance woman, and she is so damn impressive. And you know what? She walks around like she has done nothing. She walks around like she is very humble. You know, very humble. And, that is and, amazing. And I'll tell you what they uh, some of the toughest. Uh, People I've ever seen in the fire service uh, on the job have been females. You know, Laura Weibel, I went to the fire academy with her. She was in my squad. And that girl, God, man, she would kill herself. To, I mean, you know, it's just really cool when you have somebody that wants it bad and they come in there and they they give it everything. And um, and and they 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 struggle setbacks. And and but I remember when I was in the academy, man, I remember two instructors coming to me one day and were like, hey, man, listen, we really don't think you're going to pass. Like, I was not physically fit. And I made the decision that day that I'm either going to graduate or I'm leaving in an ambulance. And I went home and I ran every day, did push-ups every day, even when I was not in the academy. So much so that I developed patella tendonitis in both knees and I had to start sleeping with my head at the foot of my bed so that I could put my feet up on the wall to like kind of push on them to take some of the strain out of my knees. And I, I remember when I graduated, um, I was walking across the stage and Chief Booth Never would have imagined it would have happened. Chief Booth holds his arms out and gives me a big-ass hug. When he used to show up to teach, him or Chief Harrison, I would legit see their cars pull up and be like, and today just might be the day that I go the fuck home. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can do this, bro. You know what I mean? So, And I went through Midway as well. I went through Midway class two, zero to zero two. Yeah. And uh, it was no joke over there. So, And I'm not bullshitting you with this one. There were... There were three instructors that I reference regularly from Midway. Four, excuse me. <clears throat> Captain Richardson, who was lieutenant at the time, is just an, a fucking stellar instructor, stellar human. If you're listening to this, cat bro, man, you you really were one of the ones that I uh, I respected the most out of the academy. <clears throat> Believe it or not, you really and truthfully, and I will tell you the story of the day we met Lieutenant Allen. <laughs> We had just done our morning PT. Midway had a fantastic system of not letting you know who your instructors were for the day. You had no idea. Or I, at least I didn't. I had no idea. So you would show up and be like, wonder who we have today. I don't know. So we're, we're doing our morning run, and I suck at running. I've sucked at running my entire life. This day was no different. And all of a sudden from behind me, I hear this the most booming voice I've ever heard <laughs> at that time in my life. Telling us all that we suck shit. It's like, you're not running hard enough. You fucking suck. I've got better shit to do than be here with you while you're half-assed running across this track. Whatever it was. Just this. And I was just like, oh, God. This, it's, today's the day, Jesus. So this was a Saturday morning. This was one of the first Saturdays that uh, 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 Lieutenant Allen was there. And um, I almost puked. And you looked at, and you looked, it was me, and I, actually, I want to say it might have been, no, it was not Jacob. It was the guy named Naomi, because his, because his last name was Miami Backwards. 
or something like that, or whatever it was. Y'all <laughs> fucking wrote his ass about that shit, and I'll tell you why. So he he was like dry heaving. I was running dry heaving, and then um, we get around and we're all in formation, and I just see this man. This angry little man just standing there. I was like, God, you guys are fucking terrible. <laughs> and I don't remember anything else about that day other than meeting you that day. I think you were there. Uh, Instructor Erickson might have been there. And I think um, a guy from Navarre was there. I don't remember his name. Yeah. But one of the, it was you, uh, Captain Craner, now Chief Craner, Chief Pensacola Craner. Fire. She is doing badass. amazing things. She She's a such badass. a gangster. And um, instructor Erickson. Yep. Um, that dude's just a damn genius. Yes, he's that, very smart. That guy got he, the fire service. You know, he's not in the fire service anymore at he, all. He, no, he's a flight medic. Uh, and he he left Fort Walton, and he's not doing fire stuff anymore. To my knowledge, uh, last time I last time I checked, he was not doing anything. Really? Yeah. Well, that dude is wicked smart when it comes to paramedic stuff. So yeah, he I. Is. If I was if if I saw him roll up and I'm in that area and it's like, all right, cool, I'm not gonna die. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. This is one of the days I remember from Midway. The two guys that sucked at running more than I did both quit on the same morning. And we were doing the Cal run that morning. So Lieutenant Richardson was taking us on our run. Excuse me. Well, Lieutenant at the time was taking us on our run. And I fought to the back of the line. Shocker. Because I could outrun the other two. And then it wasn't as bad. But then they quit on the same day. So I was like, fuck. Damn. And I literally looked and I was like, "Fuck, this is gonna be a bad, this is about to be a bad day," yep. and it was <laughs> because it was the day where I guess we just had extra time that we needed to make up. So after we got done, you were there, you were there this day, but you didn't do you didn't do the kill run with us. You were there getting ready for everything else that we did when we got back. <clears throat> Lieutenant Richardson is taking everyone to the next intersection and running back down around me. And then running around. The, the Indian run is the, what we called that. Yeah. So that or they would be doing like push-ups or sit-ups or something like that until I came around, joined the group. Then they'd get up and take off. And I would I, – I'm, I'm I'm killing myself trying to catch them. Yeah. This is when my condition was starting to come up. This is when they gave me an inhaler, thinking that one might be part of the problem. Whatever. So we get back, and then all of a sudden we see all of these – implements laid out like there's tires laid out there's telephone poles laid out <laughs> there's <laughs> there's all these things and the first thing i thought was the fuck we gonna do with these telephone poles <laughs> well we're gonna do setups with these telephone poles and pass them back and forth as a group what yeah, yeah. like like it starts in the center like i hand it to your side y'all lay back sit up and then pass it to the next side uh-huh. and do sit-ups and back and forth like that and then we we did like we jumped on the tire, we hit the tire with sledgehammers, we picked the tire up as a team and picked it up and pushed it over our heads and did all this other kind of stuff. This must have gone on for two hours. Just fucking killing us. And then someone comes around and says, All right, let's start let's start drill. What the fuck was that? <laughs> In your class, did Captain Richardson ever make you guys push the fucking fire truck? Or was that a different class? Um, One day I'm out there and there's this kid that had been running and puking and I'm running next to him and, and he stops to throw up. So I stop and I keep running in place and I'm standing next to him. I'm like, you're not throwing up out of your fucking feet. So keep running while you're puking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> this kid. So he starts, uh, run, he starts uh, running uh, again. When we get done with all this PT, 
And uh, it was another day. It was must have been after your class because we still have the logs and all that kind of stuff. But I look over and Captain Richardson, lieutenant at the time, he has got a squad behind the training engine. And he's in the driver's seat. And he's got him pushing this fucking training engine around the track. And I'm like, is the truck broke down? I no. don't think that was my class. No, I don't remember that. No, he was just that. doing it for PT, you know. And uh, did you ever do the ring of fire where we filled the two and a half with water and circled, coupled it together in a circle and a squad had to hold it above their head while the other ones ran? No, I think um, – I don't think I made it that far. Yeah, that – well, all this stuff happened. Uh, so a little secret for anybody that may be in the fire academy and you hate your instructors. Okay, let me give you a secret. That, that you too. I, I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but we were all in your shoes one time. I sucked in the fire academy. I was awful, and I sucked at running. I sucked at doing push-ups. I sucked at everything, you know. Um, and it wasn't. It just. It takes time on the job learning the techniques. So don't get down on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. The instructors are there to beat you up and make it mentally tough. And it is nothing personal. They just want to to teach you how to be mentally tough enough to withstand suffering. Don't take anything personal because nothing they say do they mean. We like I we. And if you really stop and think about some of the shit that we say it, when you're alone. You will probably, if you have a sense of humor, you will laugh hysterically. The other day I was teaching and these new kids were taking a few minutes to, we were doing bunker drills and these kids were having a hard time getting, they they were having a hard time getting bunk, getting their gear on, number one, but then we'd tell them to dress back down to redo it. And it was taking them a while to get their gear off. So, you know, you know, me playing the role, I said, if it took me this fucking long to get undressed, I wouldn't have two kids now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So a, a lot of the stuff, the instructors, man, we're just, we're really and truly, we're playing mind games, having a good time, but it ain't nothing personal. And we, we want you to succeed, but we just want you to understand that as hard as you think, as miserable as you feel, your body can do so much more than you think it can. On that note, <clears throat> here's another midway story. So, but another thing that I, I, I don't like is this kind of comes from, you know, Jocko's mindset. No one gives a fuck what you did in training. Yeah. Like, like boot camp or anything like right that. Now, we, everybody, all had, everybody we all had, we all had to do it. Yeah. But this Naomi guy, when we were going around like beginning of the Academy of like, why are you here? Kind of thing. This is what this motherfucker said, stood up in front of everybody and said, well, I'm a stay-at-home dad, and my wife said that I need to get a full-time job, so here I am. Oh, wrong answer. This was the first year of the Escarosa grant, and he got one of them. I remember that. Yeah. He got a target put on him immediately. That immediately. Day. Immediately, because he drove a minivan every day to, to class. So, we're the class before we were supposed to have done ropes, and apparently ropes didn't go very well for everybody. <laughs> Bunker drills didn't go very well for everybody either. And I don't see how it didn't because we spent eight fucking hours. <laughs> put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off. Run, 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 put it on, take it off, put it on, take it off. Run, 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 put it on, take it off. Eight hours of that shit. I don't know how people couldn't get it after that. Yeah. Whatever. So Captain Craner is in charge of class that day. So she comes out of the, she, she's like, we hear her go, what? She comes out of the bunker or out of the, out of the, out of the bay. It says, apparently, some of you people can't put on your fucking gear still. <laughs> and I was just like, what? 
Tyler Gifford was another one that was Tyler in my. Tyler Gifford, he was uh, yep. in my class. He's yep. in my squad, actually. He works for uh, Holly Navarre now. Yeah, good kid. Yep, he's another fucking just stud. Yeah, like first PT test that we did, it ran a mile and a half in eleven minutes. So yeah, I was like, dude. bro, save it for like. <laughs> yeah, you got six You're, months of this shit. And you got to improve on each one of the tests. You're yeah. not setting yourself up for failure <laughs> there, bud. But I have no doubt that he was probably running like an eight and a half minute mile and a half by the time it was done. He was such a freak. Yeah. Um. Um. Anyway, he um this Naomi guy, we're doing bunker drills. Put it on, take it off. Put it on, take it off. Put it on, take it off. Yada 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 yada. And uh, nine people failed to to have everything done in two minutes to oh, pull from plain clothes to breathing air in two minutes. The revolution before that, Mister Naomi, Naomi came up to ask you. How do I turn my bottle on when my pack's on my back? And the color must have drained from my face because Tyler stood next to me. He goes, bro, what's wrong? And I was like, did you not hear what that motherfucker just asked Lieutenant Allen? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no. And I told him, and he just goes, <laughs> it's like, oh, we are going to die. So nine people fail. Mind you, I had never done a plank before I got to Midway Fire Academy. Never. Yeah. So... Um, Captain Craner turns around to this group and says, okay, so you nine fuck up. That means that you have all gone down in a fire. That means these people that do it right have to come save your ass. So they're going to do a minute of planks a piece for every one of you that got it wrong while y'all stand here with your pass device going off. In full gear. God, dude. And I was like, I, 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 I don't... Today. I, I like, this did did you it. ever hear the famous quote, stop making fucking victim noises? Yes. Yeah, that's my favorite, man. When yes. the guys get down there and they're like doing push-ups and they start, uh, uh, you know, you, you get next to them, you're like, hey, man, if you want to be a victim, go get in bed and smoke in bed and start a fire. Then yeah. you can be a victim. Until then, I shut think, up. I think I heard you say something like, if you want to be a victim, go smoke in bed, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just biting the inside of my cheek to not laugh at that because I didn't want to get smoked either. Yeah. <laughs> So nine minutes of planks, you know, after like minute two or minute three, she let us shed our packs. And then after we got through all nine minutes of it, I heard Captain Craner say, okay, these guys are going to get a, get a break. Now y'all get to get your asses kicked. And then here comes that big booming voice again. Guess fucking what? <laughs> 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 like he's, like he's, a, like he's, um, like he's a drill sergeant from, um, full metal jacket. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know they stack shit that high. It was that kind of shit. Yeah, man. You know, I have a good time teaching, but I was there, man. I was in. I was I'm, every one of these students. I was in their shoes, and as they progressed to the academy, I, 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 I kind of turned from that guy more into a um, more of a mentor, and I try to spend quite uh, time with them and get down on their level and talk to them and make them feel comfortable while they're learning because I want them to succeed. There's a time and a place. For the hardcore stuff and that's at the very beginning when the, you want us you want the people to understand this is very hard and um in order to be here at the end you're going to have to suffer and you have to prove to us that you're able to suffer some difficult times once they've proven that though um you know now there there are on occasion guys will get through and then and then they they will have an issue like you have where you have a medical legitimate medical issue that you did not recognize coming in um but oh no, I want you to know I was fully aware of what was going on. I just didn't tell nobody. 
Oh, I just wanted the chance. I got you. Well, I wanted the chance to go through, and but I didn't know it was at the level that it was yeah, when I got there. I got you. I, I got didn't you. know that it was. It was. Well, you know, there's like a that. lot of people that show up in the first the first ounce of hardship and they're done. They're they're just like I'm out of here. You know. So that says a lot about you. You show up with an element like you had, and you put out, and never quit. They had to make you leave. Yeah, they had to make me leave. And that says something about you as a human being. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I wasn't having a great time. Hell no. But, neither was I. But, but you know what's funny is that I've uh, been to a lot of fires and not one fire have I ever been to. There's not one fire that I've ever been to that I've been comfortable at. No, it's you, another thing. Like, I've never been know, able to see it every fire I've been to. Yeah, so so that, that's what I try telling them. Like, it doesn't end here and then you just go live a comfortable life in the fire service. You're going to be fucking miserable every time you go to work. Like, this is not um, just a rite of passage. This is just, we're teaching you what it's going to be like daily. It's going to suck all the time when you go to fire. Now, fires are fun for the first five or 10 minutes. Yeah. The next 45 or 50 minutes, though, are just work that sucks. Yeah. And it's painful and you're uncomfortable and you're tired and you're wet and you want, you know. And that's just part of it. And if you're really lucky, it's thundering and lightning and raining. You know, it just it's it's miserable. You know, but you just got to do it because you love the job. And you want to be there and you want to be around the guys around you that are great. And that's something else that you know doesn't get talked about a lot, or it's not that it doesn't get talked about. I just don't know if it comes up. It's okay to love this shit. Yeah, it's okay because I fucking loved car fires. Absolutely, God, this shit was so much fun. I don't want a hose. I want irons. I want to go fuck shit up. Let's pop the hood. Let's yeah. pop hood. Let's get that shit. Let's open up all the doors. Let's get all that shit open. Then you come. I, that's I love that shit. Yeah. Um, on you know working on like on a working structure fire. Let's go. Like the first, I can I can't tell you how many fires I went in where I had to we had to fight our way in. Yeah. Oh, so fucking awesome. Yeah. But it seems fucked up to talk about that because that's someone that's losing something. Right. But at the same time, like, we know what we signed up for. Like, we know why we're here to do what we're here to do. It's a necessity that has to be done. It's okay to enjoy that shit. Yes. Now, a woods fire, a grass fire, a brush fire like that, I fucking hate them. Me too. I hate them, like, from start to finish. There's nothing dumpster about it fires. that's fun. I'd rather fight a dumpster fire. I'd rather get in a dumpster fire than go to a fucking woods fire. To, per- to put this attitude in perspective, like you're saying, think uh, uh, to the people that are not firefighters, you, you may think, these guys, you know, we, we don't, I don't want to see people lose their things. I don't want to see death and destruction. No. But I will tell you this. That's part of that's part of life. It's going to happen. And if it's going to happen, I want to be there. Not because I enjoy seeing anybody suffer, but because I enjoy like it's like being a fighter pilot. Those guys, you know, they want to get a chance to do what they trained to do. They don't necessarily want to have a war, but if a war breaks out, they want to be there because they that's their personality. It's type A. They want to be the one that's called to go and do something awesome. Is there adrenaline rushes involved? Yes. Uh, and that's absolutely the truth. But you know, um, we want to go to fires. At least, at least good firefighters do. You want to go to fires. And so if there is one, we want to be there. And uh and and that may be it may seem sick to be that way, but it's the personality that it takes to be successful on this job. It's what it takes to be successful in, in the military, special operations, to be successful at anything. Really, you had to be to be you got to love what you do to be really really great at it. Now, I'm not saying you you you, you may you may be good at your job but hate your job, but that's out of necessity because you understand that you got to keep the lights on. You know, 
Um, that is a, not the mindset you should have in the fire service. No, absolutely not. Not uh, at all. Because and, and with the pay, it's definitely not for the pay. You yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it's it. This is the the fire service as a whole is a community of people that should be chasing excellence. Yes, and there are there are certain places where you can find excellence Mm -hmm. but complacency exists everywhere absolutely there's no there's no way that you can get around not finding complacency and it it exists in every one and it takes our brothers addressing that with us that's where honesty comes in hey man you're not performing at the level you got to step it up yeah and we and i've had people have had that conversation with me i've had it with my friends and that's where this the teamwork aspect comes into play that honest uh painful conversation that's very important in all of these facets of these jobs that we're talking about. Yes. And you're absolutely right when you say that. And this is, and it's not like nothing against anybody that works a desk job or anything like that. Because oh, if you sure. get complacent in your desk job, hey, Bob, we need you to file these reports real quick. And you don't want to do them and you don't just half ass them, whatever. But complacency in a job like this will cost you your life, mm-hmm. or will someone cost else's. you someone else's life. And if complacency on your part costs someone else their life with something you could have done better, or you could have given a little bit more here, or you could have, you know, just anything like that. You got to carry that shit for the rest of your life. You're absolutely and right. And that's not on my to-do list. For sure, man. If you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. Because and that's one of the both- things I've always told her. I've spent time studying at home, just, you know, and, and putting time into the job. And she understood why. It was because... I, I I got it. I understood what was on the line, and I and my biggest desire was also my biggest fear. You know, I want the opportunity to make a grab, but I was so afraid of failing when I had that opportunity. So I've I fought and fought and put so much into it. Yeah, you spent a lot of time away from home, but I was always one hundred percent. One hundred percent. She was always like, "Yeah, go do what you got to do." She she understood the mission. She's the ultimate wife that, that uh, understands the fire service. She can come in and fit in a, in a firehouse around the table. She's just she she was made to be part of public safety, and she um you know she's given other wives advice because this is a difficult position to be in the wife of a first responder, and she's also a first responder as a dispatcher. Um, and so to have that at home, hey, I'll take care of getting the kids back and forth where they, where they need to go, so you can leave for a week and go teach. Yeah. Uh, by, by the way, babe, I'm not getting paid for this. Okay, well, whatever. Because, you know, I teach at conferences and stuff like that. And and more recently, I, I, I get paid. But early, early, early on, you know, I didn't get paid. I was teaching to make a name to get an opportunity to be on the big stage to teach with Chief Ike and these kind of things. And so um, what about the money for me? But it was, to me, it was an investment in his career. Yeah. So. And that's and that's amazing on your part. It is on both of y'all's part that y'all have that. I did not. Yeah. I. But at the same time, uh, this is putting some beans out about me and my testimony story, whatever you want to call it. My um, ex, I guess we'll call her, because um, we're you know in the process, whatever. Uh, she was not on board with that. She. <clears throat> You know, she like radio goes off. Hey, I'm gone. Uh, you know, yeah. there was some kind of something the whole time, or you know, like we'd be on and it, we're, we're, we had nine miles of interstate in our jurisdiction. Yeah, the interstate wrecks aren't quick. It's no. never like a fender bender. Even if it's just a fender bender, it's not fast. So we'd be out there 45 minutes or an hour. My phone started ringing. Hey, are you are you done yet? Am I home? Am I am, am, have I called you and told you I'm coming back? <laughs> yeah. 
So there was a lot of animosity there between that because in her perspective, and she probably wasn't wrong, I put the fire service before other things. But you have to in this job sometimes. Well, I had the wrong reason because the fire service was the only thing that I had not been told no to because of my heart condition. Everything else I ever wanted to do, they told me no. Like I got denied by all five branches of the military, all of them. Like my Marine Corps recruiter ripped my enlistment packet in half in front of me because when he found out I had a heart condition. So no one told me no. No one told me I couldn't do it. So I invested everything in the fire service. Yeah. And then, you know, it just kept going on and on and on. I got more disciplined. I got better at being playing both parts, but then my mental health was starting to take a shit. Yeah. Because I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. Nah, I'm past that shit. I, this, this weak-minded, because the first the first fatality I ever ran, I was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. I was still an explorer. a guy I went to school with. Now, I'm not saying I was best friends with this guy, but I knew him. And that's an impact, just to, just to know the person. And the hard part was, he was so fucked up in this car, I didn't recognize him. Yeah. I didn't know it was him until his mom and dad got there and started screaming his name. Mm. Like I, that was then it was like fuck that's who that was in that car and that's t- that's a tough one to swallow man yeah like, like you know and we get back to the fire station we do our little half ass debrief that we did back in those days and one of the older guys come up to me is like hey is that messing with you are you all right and I was like yeah I don't I don't think I'm okay and he was like well either you can fucking get over it or now's the time to get out yeah see that's the wrong way to that's the wrong way to you know it. and and here's a here's proof that uh, the value of of uh, mental health. Tier one units. I do a lot of reading about them because they have success in what they do. And if we can take success from units like that and and apply that in what we do, then then to me that's force multiplier. They have doctors, of course, physical therapists, of course, shooting instructors, of course. They have got psychologists and psychiatrists on staff because you know what? They understand that by having these guys there, they're protecting their investment. They've invested millions of dollars in these operators and they do all this other stuff to protect, to, to keep them physically healthy with physical therapy, doctors, all this other stuff. The mental health aspect of it too, is a huge thing that's ending careers. And, mm-hmm. uh, they are, it sounds selfish, but that's what they're doing. They're putting these doctors on staff because it's protecting this million dollar operator investment that they've made. And if the military is doing that to protect their high performers and keep them, keep some longevity up. Think of it like that. If you need to reach out for help, you're an investment. Like you, you are you are an asset to your organization, and you are protecting that that organization and their their investment. So the way I've been looking at it, I understand where you're coming from. I really do. But if you're not with something along those lines, you're not going to be an asset to whoever, like whatever company you're working for. Yeah, that, yeah, I get that. So I've been telling people that just have just regular old day jobs like I got. I'm just a welder. That's all I do. I stick stuff together with hot metal. Great. But I can't do my job if I don't invest in me. Exactly. So when you're talking about techniques, there's there's so many things about welding that I don't know. But I would love to learn them. I would just love to sit down with five or six old timers that know vastly. They forgot more than I've ever learned. Yes. When it comes to the mental health things about that, you got to invest in yourself. Like you, don't get me wrong. Having a company invest in you is nice, but they're doing it for one reason. You're doing it for you because you have finally realized you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. And the hard part about it is 
is people don't know when to do that because the idea of mental health is still insanely fresh mm-hmm. in today's culture. And I think my point with with that was that was that not necessarily um, don't look at it like like your organization should be investing in you. But my point, I think what I was trying to make was that the fact that used to the military was like. All bronze, no brains. You're being a pussy. Well, now even that organization that was the world's worst about it Mm -hmm. is understanding the importance of mental health for longevity of of individuals. Right. And for an organization like that to make a change and to start to push this initiative, you know, uh, that that should open the door for people to understand the importance of it. That's what I meant to say. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to to say like you know, um, you know, don't expect your organization. To, to come to you and, and, you know, they're not investing millions of dollars and sending you to, you know, do a halo jump out of a fucking airplane and go rescue somebody from Somalia. But, yeah. you know, what you're saying though, understand that mental health is an investment. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's not doing it and making that investment into you, like fortunately for me, my organization, I, I it was an investment that was made. I didn't have to pay for it. Right. But it is an investment for you. If mm-hmm. you do have to do it for yourself, you're making an investment for yourself and for your own life. And you know what? If you have a family, everybody has a family of some sort. Whether you may not may be married, but you may have kids. You may you may have parents, aunts, uncles. You're also you're you're investing in yourself for them right. as well. So the thing I've been telling a bunch of people lately that I've had have had to have this kind of conversation with is there there some's been married, some's not, some has kids, some don't. Whatever situation. It, that's not the important part to it. The important part is the situation that you're in. You can't help that situation if you're not taking care of you. If right. you're putting all these other things before you, it could be your kids, it could be your husband, your wife, your your partner, your mate, whatever it is you call each other, your parents, friends, yep. family, whatever. If you're not taking care of you and you keep saying, oh, I'll get to me later. I'll get to me later. Uh, I'll do. Let me get this first and then me. That's not the right attitude and Absolutely. i and I, I used to do it i still have my moments where i do do that kind of stuff same but yeah i've learned that there's people that i don't need around friend or family because they don't help me out not not in the aspect of like giving me help but they cause me stress they cause me anxiety they cause me to get real um get real fizzy to where i can't function because they just cause my levels to be from Really, really calm, easy going to just stressed out. Dude, I get yeah. that hundred percent. So and then Same here. there's been jobs I walked away from. There's been jobs I've turned down. There's been places I've turned down going. And it's just because I've learned that you set boundaries I, for yourself. It, exactly. That's what it is. I've learned that in the course of my life, I will have people that will come into it and they will care and they'll love me for me. Right. But if I don't like me, if I don't love me. I'm doing a disservice not only for me, but for them, because if I have to pretend that I'm enjoying me, that I love me and I don't, and you need all of me, yeah. well, I have zero to offer you exactly. because I am just a shell of what I pretend to be. You're absolutely right. So coming coming out of that, that mindset that I've been changing going to therapy, having the hard conversations, me and Josh had a very hard one the other night. Um, that yeah, we did. I'm not. My personality is, I'm pretty level headed. I'm pretty easygoing. I I will call it how I see it, but I'll put it in a way that does not make you feel belittled. Right. Yeah. 
Josh is very blunt. He's very honest, very straightforward. I love him for that. He loves how I am about things because I can go both sides of the fence. The other night, though, I was extremely blunt with him. Probably caught him off guard a little bit. But but that's okay. But we had to have it. Hey, that's what friends it, are for, It needed man. to happen. Friends that, that love each other, and, and, and I say that with meaning. Like, friends that love each other are, are the ones that are the most honest. Right. I love know? this man with all my heart. For sure, man. And uh, there is... There's a lot that I have to thank him for, and a lot that I I, I don't think I'll ever be able to repay him for. It's just I've got friends like that. As well. <laughs> just him being an amazing human, but us being us us being the way we are to each other, you know. Because you know, watch you watch his mental health videos, and I told him this, and I talked to him about this, and I told him that you know how he comes in real real low, just kind of you know I'm Jacob from Silver Chronicles, you know, being real really calm and really really just kind of soft spoken like that. I struggle watching that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, he is not targeting people like me. Right. Or maybe he is. And maybe there are people that me, like me that watch that and you're like, you know, maybe, maybe he slows me down a little geared, but then you hear my videos. Like I'm outside, you know, I think day 17 that I did about letting go of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that was probably the most impactful video that I posted. Yes. Just because I called me out, you know, you've got to fucking drop this shit. Yep. And, Mm -hmm. That's that's the angle that I come from. I'm I'm I can't. We've talked about I mean, we talked about this before we started the show about about swearing. I'm sorry. I am who I am. I'm brash. I'm harsh. I'm honest. I've, I was raised in a house with a hard ass. I was raised in a house with people that you said what you had to say. Ever how it comes out, that's how it comes out. And either you discuss it or you get the fuck over it. Yeah. Like you said what you had to say. We can figure it out, and then it's over. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this, man. If you don't put the baggage down, you're going to continue to feel the weight. Yes. Right. Which, gonna... was, which came up in the video. Mm-hmm. But we play off each other very well off that because he knows how to approach me. I know how to approach him. I'm not afraid to be honest with him. He's not afraid to be honest with me. And if you have people in your friend circle or your work circle or just in your life in general that you feel like you have to hold back and you know you can't really tell somebody what you think, or you can't really be honest with that person. But you call them your friend. That's not your friend. That's an acquaintance. That is an acquaintance that you spend time with. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. When I call someone that I have an idea that I'm kind of iffy about, like, hey, what do you think about this? Oh no, that's great. You know, just whatever. Kind of. I think if you can do it, you can do it. Okay, cool. You're bullshitting me. Yeah. I called Jay. Like, hey, I think I want to strap a rocket to a scooter. And try to race to a Whataburger or some shit like that. He's gonna be like, "This no, sounds really no. fun." Well, that sounds really fucking dumb, but Calabunga it is. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's Buddy, I'll be there with you. I'm yeah. gonna, what, I'm gonna watch. Luck. I mean, I'm gonna watch. Like we're gonna. See. That's how. Well, that's how. how and that's how I am with my friends. Like, hey man, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'll support you in whatever you want to do, but that's 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 pro- dumb. That's probably dumb, but that's, that's uh, probably going to change your life. But you got you got to make the decision for you, Big Daddy. Yeah, and, uh, well, yeah. so I'm going to love you through it, bud. Yeah, Even I'll if you get caught for the rest of your life, <laughs> in my defense, if we're strapping a rocket to a scooter, <laughs> I will be joining in the stupidity. <laughs> That's friendship right there. Yes. Yeah. Just get like, you some bicycle helmets. It can be like Dumb and Dumber when they're on their fucking helmets. Yeah. I'm good. I got us. I got enough good motorcycle to go. helmets yeah. for Either all we're of us gonna in this be house. In, we're going to be in the same prison cell or the same hospital bed. Hey, that's goals right there, man. That's goals. That's my guy. Well, the point I was getting at for me, it took me years, even when I was with her, 
it took me years that I was a serious people pleaser. Yeah. An insane people pleaser. I, I would I would stress myself so thin for me that if I messed up just if I just didn't pick up my clothes for today and just let them on the on the floor or on the couch or something, I would go ballistic towards myself. Yeah. I would I would absolutely tear myself down to the point where I felt like the lowest grade of anything on the planet was higher than me by 10 levels. Yeah. And so it took time for me to realize everything's okay. If you don't get to today, that's fine. You have tomorrow. Right. And I know there's people who say, no, you need to get it done today. It's like, yeah, you may need to get it done today. But if you don't, your time's run out for today. It happens. Time runs out. Attack it the next day. And then it's just kind of progressing to you control how you are during the day with what, what you're doing. And that same thing when it comes to your job, it comes to your love life, your friendships, your whatever. And it took me that time to set the boundaries of, Hey man, you're, you're stressing yourself out with this. Take a step back from that, put your focus into something else. And then you just, you learn to progressively get better at managing yourself. And you know, you saying that makes me, and I've never really thought of it like this, but when you think about who you are as a person, um, if you ask somebody that, you know, who are you as a person or what type of person are you? They're going to try to think of a definitive answer. I'm this, I'm, I'm, this is who I am. This is the type of person I am. And in my opinion, you know, thinking about it, if you were to ask me, you know, who are you as a person? I would say, well, that's a very difficult uh, thing to answer because Jim Allen, who Jim Allen is, is a daily process. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim Allen changes daily, sometimes for the worse and sometimes for the better. But there is no, there is no stagnant, static Jim Allen. Right. Uh, and and we have to make the effort every day to understand that um, that it's okay to have bad days. It's okay to to fail. It's okay to to not be the one hundred percent perfect you. Um, because without bad days, it's very difficult to recognize really beautiful, good days. It is. You know what I mean? So with that fellas, um, it's seven 30. I got my daughter texting me. Oh, if y'all don't mind, I think I'm going to wrap up. You good. I'm, I'm okay with this. Uh, hey man, I know we could go on this for another eight hours. So yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, I don't want to leave her at home because she's going to start texting uh, repeatedly now. Mm. Uh, How old is the child? This she is uh, twelve today. Yesterday, twelve yesterday. Well, yeah. yeah, happy she's birthday yesterday. Happy, happy, it's called a belated birthday. Belated. <laughs> what, what did I say? Happy birthday yesterday. Yeah, what's wrong with that? <laughs> the term, I love you guys. The hey, correct term is belated. <laughs> How is what I said wrong? It was it, your birthday yesterday. Happy birthday yesterday. <laughs> hey, I'm man, tell happy her. birthday two weeks from now. See you then. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of the same concept. You know how many people I do that to? You do that to a lot of people. I do that to a lot of people. It's like, look, your birthday's in three weeks. I'm not going to remember. Happy birthday. Yeah, bro, I'm not going to call you because <laughs> I'm going to forget. I'm going to forget. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Happy, <laughs> happiest fucking birthday happy, ever happy to Happy birthday. Happy birthday yesterday, little Alan child. <laughs> no? Yeah. Okay, <sighs> And I, I think I sent you a, a free did. request. I okay. Yeah. I was hoping that it was you and it wasn't some guy going, who is this weird ball bastard sending me a friend? No, request. sorry. Before you jet out, all right, because we were going to talk about it. All right. And we didn't get any, we did not get into your career at all. My career doesn't matter, man. My, just the important thing to know about my career is it's it's been a wonderful experience 
that's been um, provided to me by people who have cared about me. And I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things and be in some really cool companies. Uh, and that, and but it's been because of other people's uh, willingness to give me opportunities. That's mm. what I want to say about my career. And that's that, awesome. And we'll leave it at that. That's okay. awesome. Well, let's hear about this um, watches of the fire service thing you've got going on. All right. So, me and my buddy Jacob Dar, right? Uh, he works at Squad Three. We uh, we have this team guy mentality. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like like everything we do. Uh, am I better in the group? Am I better in the team? And uh, Navy He's Seals uh, have a tradition of uh, of watches. A lot of them will get Rolexes and shit. If I bought a Rolex then I would probably be living here with you guys on this couch because she would kick me the fuck out. Wow, they're uh, not that expensive. <laughs> Dude, I wish. I wish. But uh, so, you know, I had a couple of nice little those citizens mm-hmm. and stuff and G-Shocks and um, um, little mortgage payments. Get out of here with that. <laughs> you can pick up some Rolexes nowadays for about five, five to seven hundred. You can. I've seen them. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I spent five hundred dollars on my first car. Um, Jose, this this watch right here was seven hundred. Right. This is the tenth time I wore in a year and a half. I wear mine every day. It's a series. And I wore four an Apple race. Watch for a long time. I wore Garmin before that. I sold the Garmin back to the to Haley. Her, she broke hers, and so I ended up actually I gave it to, back to her. Um, but uh, so I had worn the Apple Watch, and I just I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I mean, I, I I liked having it to work out with. It was convenient for workouts, but. Um, me and Jacob just kind of had this thing where we were like, um, we were we were all we were both into the dive watch type deal, mm-hmm. and I thought it was really cool. And DJ Shipley, the Navy SEAL, he made a video about it. We were watching it, and I was like talking to Dar one day, and we were like, "Bro, that's pretty awesome. We should we should start wearing Team Guy watches, you know." <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, I forgot a couple watches, uh, not a lot or anything, but um, four or five, and I've got some G Shocks and stuff. And they're really, in the grand scheme of watches, not super expensive. But, you know, I'm in a couple of watch groups on Facebook, um, Sketchy Boys Watch Club and some others. But I started a watch group, and and it's um, it's for um, really military, first responders, guys that, that, that do stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, or guys that are just patriotic Americans that are out working hard. Um, Can you invite me into that? Please? I damn sure will. Thank you. Um, and and it's just anybody who's kind of into watches. It's just an interesting thing, and and something that's a common bond, really, among among good Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'll send you the invite to it. The uh, motto that me and Jacob Dar have that we came up with, not for necessarily this watch group, but just for us, um, is uh, "Semper Volantibos Pouches," which is Latin for. Um, um, and now I'm having a brain fart. Stand by one. It's Latin for always the willing few. Mm-hmm. What that means is um, in the U.S. Uh, or in the in, in the world, there are only a few people willing to do the hard, hard things mm-hmm. uh, and put themselves at risk or just to get out and work hard for their families. Or And so that's our that's our motto. Um, and we want to try to live by that creed, you know, always the willing few there. We want to be part of the few that are willing to go the mile that it takes to do something special in life. Uh, whether that be make a rescue or whether that be, um, you know, just anything to better someone else's life or, or, you know, make something better for somebody else. Um, so that's kind of the motto. And so that's the, um, 
the kind of the group motto thing we made. Or I, it was before that, but I added that to the to the group, uh, and I'll send you an invite just as soon as we get in the car. Hey, please do, and then also if you can text the info to Josh so I can add it to the bio for this episode, I will. The info for the group, no, uh, the company or the group. Yes, either one. Which group? Which company are you talking about? The watch. Uh, oh, the, okay. My watch group. Yes, I can do that for sure. Yeah, sure. Um, Sorry, I was trying to find something uh, that a brother, a brother in the north. Mr. Sachin Lotsi said during his podcast, <clears throat> I thought we had the Latin thing too, but I'll have to go back and listen to whatever the Latin phrase was. But he says that his motto is the relentless pursuit of excellence. That's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. That's what I was trying to find. Sorry, I wasn't no, over here. And what the, where mine um, came from was that, that 0.1% fireman yeah. deal. I was like, there's only a few of us in the grand scheme of things. Special operators and only a few of them. And more and more, you're finding fewer and fewer guys that are just men that do the hard things in life just mm-hmm. because they got to be done, you know, and women. And um, and so it's it's um, kind of a creed to live by that that uh, be one of the willing few that's, that's willing to put yourself in harm's way or get out at five o'clock in the morning to go work to take care of your family, your kids, uh, or, or be the one that's willing to stop and help an old lady cross the street, whatever, you know, be one of the few people that does that. Because, um, it seems to me that that those, those it's getting fewer and fewer. It is. It's definitely turning to a me, me, me uh, society. And to a degree is. Yeah. And my wife is, is the most, one of the most selfless people in the world. I mean, like her and my sister in law have been across the street, Staying with our neighbor, taking care of her. She's suffering from some kind of dementia onset type stuff. And just been over there, just just taking care of her. Like, you know, most people would just be like, go home and close the door and forget that she's over there. Um, and, and it's just, it's it's an inspiration. And, she, and being married to her, man, she impresses me every day, you know. And uh, Well, I'm glad we could get both of y'all in here to have both perspectives. And I know what you're talking about because I was also a dispatcher. <laughs> I had a dispatching job way too early in life. I was 18, fresh out of high school, when I went to work for Loxley Police Department. I And at the time, Loxley dispatched for four agencies. It was Loxley, Silver Hill, Somerdale, and Alberta. And that was not a job for an 18-year-old to have. Yeah. Not at all. It is there is definitely a certain kind of person that needs to be in the dispatch office. I found success too late as a dispatcher because I did it wrong for too long. Yeah. And I didn't know how to mitigate that kind of stress. I didn't know what to do. You know, the worst by far the worst call I ever took in the dispatch office was a nine one one transfer of a sixty something year old lady that had just been raped and the guy was still in their house. Oh gosh. Yeah. She was she's hiding in the bathroom. And, you know, she can hear the guy going through her house. She's on the phone whispering, talking to the, I'm 18. Like, yeah, that's what? a shitty situation because there's nothing yeah, there's you can do physically nothing you can do. to help her. Like it's- Nothing you can do. Which I think that's where the biggest part of the stress comes from as a dispatcher. You know, it's not that there's, it's not that you deal with bad shit. Yeah, you deal with bad shit, but you're on the phone. You're on the phone with bad shit and there's nothing you can do. Even if you know how to do it. Yes. I mean, I went through EMT school back in 2010. And, you know, like, I know 
that if if I'm there, I don't know how to do CPR. I can do it. Like, get out of the way. Let me do it because you're not fucking listening to me. Yeah. So, you know, it just, you you feel so helpless. And we, you know, I have new people that come in that are young. And, you know, I openly talk about it in there too. And not a lot of people do. There's still some of the old ones in there that are in the old mindset. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not normal to deal with the, with the things that we deal with or here, I should say, on a daily basis. And I think what a lot of people don't even consider is the fact that, yes, like Jim and them, they they go to the scene. They have to actually see it. But in our minds, we see it, how we envision yeah. it in our mind. And, and nine times out of ten, it's probably worse in our mind than yes. what it really is. So the lack of closure is a tough one. Mm-hmm. I struggled with that for a little bit. Yes. Um, And the, you know, like... When it comes to older people passing and whatnot, you know, that's, it is what it is. It's sad. But when you're in like crazy situations, it's just so hard to really gain control over the people that are just, I mean, every day that you talk to somebody, nine times out of 10 is the worst day of their life. You're the one, you have to be the calm in the storm. You have to keep your voice, you know, even and, you know, not get excited, not get freaked out. And, and show that you you actually give a shit, but also you need to take charge because they called 911 for help. Yes. So they want you to tell them what to do because if they knew what to do, they wouldn't be on the damn phone with you. Exactly. So, you know, I take my job very, very, very seriously. And the mental health aspect of it, I take very seriously too. And I think that, you know, me and Jim will be married 14 years in March, March. So, you know, watching his struggles and, and being in those struggles with him, supporting him. And I've had my own mental health stuff. You know, there is, I was like him, you know, I, I would put myself last, put everybody before me. And you just, you feel like a piece of shit when you do put yourself first. Yeah. And and I hate that I felt that way for so long, but, you know, watching him go through this journey has been amazing and has really opened my eyes and and I've learned to also set boundaries with people. So, but yeah, I, I did not know you were a dispatcher too. Where were you a dispatcher? Lost the police department. Oh, okay. See, we don't do, we just do EMS and fire. Yeah. So we'll get the, the, um, police calls, but then we'll just, you know, get your address, see which jurisdiction you're in and then transfer you over to them. But yeah, a lot of times they uh, they unload on you before you even get them there. Yeah. So we're hearing everything all day, and, and we stay busy in Escambia. Oh, wait, so, I'm sure y'all are the y'all y'all the biggest county in Florida, aren't you? Uh, San Rosa County. With, I can't tell you. I want to say San Rosa County is a little bit larger in square miles. Yeah. Santa Rosa we have County. Microphone, sir. Santa Rosa County <laughs> may be a little bit larger than us uh square mileage wise. I could be completely wrong because um consensus uh among everybody is that I'm a I'm an idiot. So that could be the case here. But I <laughs> no. I think potentially uh Santa Rosa County may be a bit larger, but our population is, is, is higher than them. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Our population has doubled. Yeah. I mean it, it's it's crazy. And and the overdoses. Daily, I oh, mean, yeah. with fentanyl, uh, it's crazy. See, I'm glad I missed the fentanyl thing. I ran oh through spice. I was with spice when spice came out. Oh yeah, running that shit, man. 
Well, and we that always know enough. when a new batch comes through because the the calls like triple for it. Yeah. So you know, and it's and I don't know if it was like this with y'all, but you know, first thing in the morning is when we get the wake up, found my relative dead, mm-hmm. and then a little bit later you're gonna have your your the drug users that overdose. They woke up looking for their fix, yep. and then you have your car accidents, and then you get into your fires, and mm-hmm. then more car accidents, more overdose. It's kind of like a, a cycle that you kind of get used to, but yeah, yeah. It's it's the the drowning though. The kids are are what really gets to me, and that's that's something that I'm very open about. Yeah, and it's tough because when you have kids, we've got to be. Yeah, and you know, like the the worst one I ever ran with uh, with Loxley as a firefighter was a three year old that didn't get out of a house fire, and we found I, I ran that call. 12 hours on the dot after finding out my second child was a girl, uh-huh. little girl. That's sad. Like I'm talking about our appointment was at two 30 that afternoon, two 30 the next morning we were running that fire. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in recent time, you know, I've been more open about issues that I've had, you know, and I can unload on, you know, you know, about my marriage and those things like that, you know, that it, it I can't blame her for, for a lot of things, but I can put some of my collapse of my mental health on her a little bit. Not a lot, not a little, but just because she didn't know how to handle it. She didn't know what to do. And I couldn't talk to her about those things. And and honestly and, to be, I don't, I don't know her obviously. And I've just met you, but just to give a woman's perspective, I'm sure in her eyes, she felt you were being kind of selfish probably and like and, i said that's why i'm taking i'm not putting a lot of it on her absolutely and she flat out told me she said i don't know what to do with this yeah so if there's someone else that you can talk to like talk to them because i don't know what to do here you know i, I mean like with you you know going all in with the fire department and stuff like that you oh 100 i was being and, selfish and it's not that she felt that i was being selfish yeah um but i will say though when it comes to to jobs like this any any new female or girlfriend or wife you know that comes in i always will give them my number you need anything give me a holler like it is a tough spot to be in sometimes but again you have to look at it like it's an investment you know what i mean like there's a purpose behind what they're doing they don't like just being away from their family it's hard fucking work i mean there's yeah. many times where we were struggling to pay bills you know robin peter to pay paul and he was out of town for free teaching but to me Whatever you got to do, babe, like I'm there and you have to be, you have to be a certain person to be there for someone in that type of job or any job that requires somebody to be away for a while. And you have to have that trust. Yeah. Communication is 1000%. And, and the mental health thing again, that's very important. And, um, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm, I'm I appreciate you letting me come and and no man hearing when he, y'all stories too man. When he talked about the the thought of having both perspectives here, it was I was I thought it was great and he thought it was great. So we are not shy about mental health conversations here. Yeah, we um, are not we are not either at all. It, it's hard conversations that have to be had, and it's not it's not going to get any easier. No, but if like I have said before, like Jake has said before. If we have to be the ones to put ourselves out there, if we have to be the lamb that was slain for this type of issue, I'll do it. And so He'll be do it. it. Yeah. So so be it. Um, and the last thing that we'll say, because like I said, 
we're gonna we're gonna keep running back on these little tangents if we we got to shut down because I got to get them home. I got to get them fed. I got to get them in bed. Um, but the last thing I'll say, and this is not just for anybody spouse of the fire service or the or law enforcement or EMS or military. This is anybody and everybody. Anybody on a boat. This is you know, anybody whatever. and everybody. You don't have to know what to do. You don't have to know what to say. Just be there. Right. Just and be sometimes present. just yes. Like they may want to be alone, but they don't want to feel alone. Yes. That is such a big thing. Because I'm like that. You know, I'll I'll clam up. But I don't want to be alone. I just don't want to talk. And, so, yeah. and sometimes I would. I would sit up next to him, just not talk. And sometimes that's all it takes all it to takes. let them know that it's a safe place. It's okay. You don't have to fucking tell me. Yeah. You know, as long as I know that you're getting through it and that you're going to live and that you're going to, you know, work to to better your mental health, I'm here for you. Like as, so, And I've told, I've told numerous numerous people this very phrase i don't know if i can do anything but if you need me to listen to you shout yell scream cry need to go tear something up need to go shoot guns you go blow something up need to go to waffle house i don't care what it is tell me yeah tell and that's me. how i feel same here to your listeners yes. i gave you my number earlier and it's and and you can put it on the bio please share and, and if you need anything your secret if you if you're worried about it getting out, let me tell you something. You talk to me about it, it ain't going nowhere. It's not going anywhere. We I'm need here you for, here. I'm here for you. You matter, and uh, and you, you you have a purpose here. I promise you. You know, so just reach out to somebody, even if it's somebody like me that you don't even know. You can trust that I will be there for you. And you matter too, Jim Allen. And you matter too, Stephanie. And you and matter I want to tell too, you guys Jake. something. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Okay, I don't. I, I say this, and I mean it. I love you guys. I love you too, brother. And uh, Semper Voluntibus Pouche. I'm not going to remember <laughs> that. But uh, Jacob, do you have anything, sir? Um, we kind of already covered everything. Like I said, you matter. We want you here. You deserve to be here. You have every right to be here. Don't belittle yourself. Don't let anybody belittle you. They don't have that right over you. Yeah. Um, we have your number. If you want. A therapist number, we can get that for you. We'll get you all the avenues that we can send you down to get the help you want, help you need, and uh, just know that you're loved. And there's people that want you here. Yeah. And, and for the 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 spouses, the wives, the girlfriends, I'm here for you too. Uh, you can always reach out to me. My number is eight five zero two zero seven six zero seven three. You can text me, call me. If I don't answer, I'm not allowed to talk on the phone and dispatch. So shoot me a text and I'll you know, get with you as soon as possible. But it is it can be a tough position to be in. But I've I've got some years in. So, yeah. Uh, thank you all for that. Both very much. Um, our socials are out there to get me and Jake. Um, Josh Odom on Facebook. Josh Odom dot three fifteen on Instagram. Um, one of those. I think my number's linked on there. Uh, but I'm usually near my phone or at least have my watch on. So if you hit me, I got it. Um, uh, or you can hit the, you can hit our page, the Sofa Chronicles page. It doesn't matter if you need something, tell somebody, Yeah. let don't somebody know. I'll say, don't be scared to reach out. Don't be scared to reach out. Sometimes it's easier to reach out to people you don't know because Absolutely. Then they're, they're, they're not because for some, for me, for part of it is the fear of what are they going to think of me? Yeah. People know me. You or, know what I mean? What used to bother me was the worry of if I talk to somebody about how I'm feeling, 
or what I'm going through, I'm I'm worried that they're going to look at me and go, well, I know you well, and you brought this on yourself. Yeah. Hmm. You know? And hmm. and that was uh, something that worried me. Let hmm. me tell you something. We all make dumbass decisions, and that doesn't mean you have to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. What so, you got, sir? Well, the last thing I was going to say uh, is uh, add a, give an attaboy to Jake. Uh, I sincerely dropped the ball on doing a video every day for Men's Mental Health Month. Jake put out 30 videos. He put out a video every single day. That's he amazing. gave me he gave meaningful content every single day. And I just want to tell you I'm proud of you that you did great. Uh you, none of it felt forced. None of it seemed like you were just making shit up, pulling shit out of the sky. None of it was repetitive. It, you did 30 days of putting a video out every single day. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. It was just the little that I did was hard enough. Yeah. But my shit came up. I put my shit out there on my video or videos. What's the few that I did do? So, um, but you did, you, you did a, an awesome job. Um, and I'm proud of you and I love you for it. And uh, I wanted everybody to know that. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Also, I didn't see your videos. Well, you need to check his out. Yeah, I'm going to check both of y'all's out. Also, sure. just a quick shout out. I haven't told, I've told very, very few people about this. Um, if you've seen my videos from the market, uh, Kristen from Changing Tides is doing her last chemo treatment tomorrow, which is December the 1st, or excuse me, December the 4th. Tomorrow is December the 4th. And she is doing her last chemotherapy treatment tomorrow. That is awesome. Who is this? She is the owner of a business named Changing Tides. She has a booth at the Fowl Fox Market. She's got her own her own shop somewhere, I think. Bracelets. Uh that well, yeah, they make she makes permanent jewelry. They made these bracelets like this I've got right here in different colors and shapes and sizes and shit. Morse code bracelets? No. Okay. Well, I don't think so. If it's Morse code, it says fuck cancer. I don't know. <laughs> That's Which is what was what they had tags on it said fuck cancer. I'm with it. Um but I have been working behind the scenes with Pink Heels, the mm -hmm. chapter that we have over here. Do y'all have amazing. a Pink Heels chapter in Scamby County? Okay, well, we need to get on the ball and get some Susan B. Coleman happening over there. If we have a Pink Heels chapter here in Baldwin County, thank you to Eddie McDonald for helping me put this together to make it happen for her. I'm going to pick her up in a pink squad car tomorrow. I'm taking her That's home. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I'm talking about it now because we're recording it now. It'll have already happened when the show comes yeah. out. Well, well congratulations. Uh, listen, uh, when it comes to that uh, Pink Heels thing, uh, I'm I'm 100% ready to get on board. You just let me know, and I'll work, and we can do it together over there. But uh, yeah, I'll talk to. We've, we've lost some people to cancer uh, as well, and uh, nothing more devastating. So Pink Hills came down. Just a quick story, just real quick before we get off. You know, as we said 20 minutes ago, we're going to be done. Um, <laughs> Pink Hills came down here from a firefighter in Orange Beach. Th this is my knowledge of the story. I could be 100% wrong, but this is what I'm aware of. The Susan B. Coleman Pink Hills Fund chapter came here to Baldwin County after the death of a firefighter's wife. Dre Resmondo is a captain in Orange Beach. Cindy, his wife, okay. when she died. I know him, yep. Okay. I did not know she died, though. Yes, this has been several, this oh, has been several, God. several years. This has been years ago. So the chapter was started here, and there was a retired engine that was donated that was painted pink named Side Cindy. The engine? Yes. Oh, I see that's that. That's Cindy. That's in that's in memory of his wife. Okay. Oh, I okay. Never knew that. So there's also a pink squad car, and there's something else that is down here. But that's the Pink Hills chapter of Baldwin County. So that's what that is. If you see Cindy running up and down the road, 
that is in memory of Cindy Resmondo. Okay. Now, you know Danielle Sumner? Yeah. You know Ian Sumner? Right? No. Okay. Danielle's mom died of cancer. Microphone. Yes. <laughs> Danielle Sorry. Sumner and Ian Sumner. Ian's a lieutenant with Escambia. Danielle's mom also died of cancer, and I forget you know what kind, but it was quite a while ago, and um, and she's actually had the opportunity to sign the fire engine. Yeah. And uh, and that's a big thing to her. That's probably where, where I saw. So uh, you know, I'll talk to her as well, and I'm sure she would love to get on board with with a Pink Hills chapter over there in Escambia. I'll reach out to Eddie McDonald and a couple of the guys that are around here, see what we can get going over there. I don't know this woman. I don't. I met her at the market three weeks ago, four weeks ago, but this got laid on my heart so heavy, it my heart ached to do anything for her and these bracelets they were selling at the market i hope to sell out of them twice that's awesome just just talking about them talking about her helping sell the bracelets just that's that's all i did that's how i got to know her or i got i got to meet her and then just wanting to do something to let her know that she's not alone yeah because to put a little just a touch of beans out there about her talking about having her on the show Next year, but she's got a lot of shit she's about to go through after her, her chemo's done. So it's going to be when she wants to come in here and what she wants. To, excuse me. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that. I apologize. Um, her breast cancer diagnosis came on the day her divorce was finalized. Oh, God. So she, that's that's where she was going, she's coming from. So, like I said, my heart just shattered for her and I ached to do something for her. So that's what I'm doing. I'll have it on my Facebook or my Instagram of her ringing the bell. We're going to go. I'm going to take her home. I need to find out where she lives to find out if we can get a couple of like maybe a Scambia trucks or Pensacola trucks or whatever, just to help make some fucking noise coming down the street. Like, Hey, I kick cancer's ass kind of deal. You um, let me know about that and I'll see what I can do. To help I'll find out. out. I'll find, see if I can find out for tomorrow. She should be done tomorrow about one o'clock in the afternoon. And I'll find out, and I'll get with you. Okay. Sounds but good, brother. That's hey, where we're at. Fellas, I appreciate you guys so much, and uh, you guys are doing an awesome thing here, and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be here, and I really appreciate it. We appreciate y'all coming. We appreciate y'all coming in. Thank you for taking the time to come over here. We yes. This is a bit of a trip. No, man, we love so. it. We uh, we had a, we had a blast. It was fun talking to you guys, and I uh, look forward to, to keeping in touch. Oh, dude, you y'all are welcome in here any day of the any week. Any day. 100%, man. You, over in Pensacola, when you guys make it over there? Get up with me. We'll go get us a beer. Let's do it. I'll treat you to whiskey. Okay. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take the Jaeger. <laughs> oh, you're going to have to fight somebody for that. <laughs> yeah. You will. So, oh. on that note, for Jim and Stephanie Allen, we love you. Thank you all so much for being here. For my brother, Mr. Jacob Giles, and for all you beautiful people, ladies and gentlemen, we are out. See you all later. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.